I'd like to open this episode by offering some thanks to Alex, Jack Mells, Patrick Taylor, Tyler Bias, and Sebastian Romero-Cruz. Thank you so much. You all have patronized our Patreon at patreon.com slash duckfeedtv. Uh, everybody else, uh, if you have not done that, consider doing it. You get a lot of extra content, and we really appreciate it. It lets us do things like the Portland Retro Gaming Expo, which we just got back from. Once again, patreon.com slash duckfeedtv. Take a look. Thank you. My name is Gary Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. And you're listening to Watch Out for Fireballs Dispatch, our monthly show where we answer your questions and we take your responses to this month's games. Yeah. This is October. It's been a hell of a month and a hell of a year. Um, mm -hmm. And we are here to read, uh, to answer your questions, respond to your prompts, um, and uh, talk about our topic for this month, our special topic, and then uh, read your responses to our games for October. And we're going to do Hell things roughly in that order. Hell year. Hellenium. <laughs> Hellenium. I like yeah. that. Yeah. I like Hellenium. Yeah. It's time for Hellenium. Uh, <laughs> let us uh, let us get into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I, I will. I'll start here uh, with a real bummer. Um, <laughs> let's get let's get cool. hell. Let's get into sad zone. Uh, Eric says. Last month, I unexpectedly lost my beloved dog to a gallbladder bladder infection. Uh, I've been pretty shattered by grief ever since, but listening to the network has been one of the few things that consistently brought me joy. Thank you guys for what you do. Thanks. Um, are there any pieces of media, games, or otherwise that hold special significance because uh, you came to them in time of mourning? I know Dark Souls 2 will likely remain my favorite Souls game since I played it shortly after a close friend and incidentally original owner of my dearly departed dog passed away. Um, the only answer I have for this, so I've gone through a bunch of, uh, intense morning in the last couple of years. Um, and I could not, uh, play, you know, I did the same thing as far as games, like just played something that would distract me that I knew really well. So like Isaac and stuff, mm -hmm. um, the biggest answer to this though, is when my uh, mom passed away, uh, I own digitally one Simpsons episode that isn't pirated or anything like that and it's it's not like the best simpsons episode or anything like that mm -hmm. but it just seemed like the one like it's just what i wanted to watch in the moment and like you know if if you're grieving or if you are at an airport or there's certain situations in which i think you should just give yourself whatever you want yeah no you, just you know listen uh, listen to yourself you know yeah so yeah. i have the uh the john waters episode of the simpsons as like a bot zap on my phone zap, zap. <laughs> yeah just uh you know, have some cactus candy i don't know i i just think that i'm sure like you know the, that episode could be torn apart yeah, uh, yeah and it's probably not perfectly unproblematic or anything right uh but the uh just the something about the the delivery and the the performance that john waters does in that episode is just really delightful to me it's always been one of my favorites he prefers the company of men don't we all <laughs> don't we <laughs> yeah. They call him annual gift man. He lives on the moon. Like there's something just like I love John Waters. Yep. Um and I, I yeah. So that is uh the piece of media I most associate with grief. Right. Uh in general. Yeah. Um no, I have many uh dungeon trains that I hop on 
um, when it comes to like depression. Uh, however, the one that I most associate with, uh, with particularly grief, um, is the first like real death of my family that happened to me when I was an adult happened back in 2008 when my grandfather on my dad's side passed away. We saw it coming for a long time and we got to go down and, you know, visit him uh, a lot in the summer before it happened. Um, but he passed away uh, right before Rock Band 2 came out. Um, and so, like, went down and then, uh, you know, just real sad time with the family and the funeral and it's a you know, long trip talking about stuff and then getting back and then just kind of like trying to cope and internalize that just by falling as deep as I could into a Rock Band 2 hole which was mm. which was cathartic because that is a more physical game than usual like it is yeah. it, it is both physical but also like it 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 demands like a lot of concentration so it, yeah. it it was very distracting um and uh yeah cathartic uh you know at at that particular time and you I know, rock and two rules yeah it's good and i also was going to say like the physicality probably helped yes so yeah no yeah. Um, let's see here. Uh, Lewis writes, Hey chaps. So I did a summer of crunchy CRPGs and played Baldur's Gate two. And I'm currently playing divinity original sin two. loved all of it. Obviously I listened to your Baldur's Gate two coverage a bunch. I've got a question for you. And I really hope this doesn't acro come across as a gotcha. This is a Lewis, no I will fucking end you. If you gotcha me, <laughs> <laughs> so you better hope it doesn't come across as a gotcha. Uh, all right. I'll, I will read the rest of this carefully. Cause Gary, he'll take, he'll take it out on me. <laughs> Can you make this at a coward? Can you 20% up the uh, the cowering uh, in your voice? Get Gary, in, uh, the, in the Baldur's Gate 2 episode. So scary. <laughs> you, oh. you say the Baldur's Gate 2 wouldn't really work with XCOM-style turn-based combat. After playing Divinity Original Sin 2 and knowing that Larry and are doing Baldur's Gate 3, have you changed your mind? Or do you have any hopes for what they will do with the combat? I don't really uh, get on with the Baldur's Gate 2 combat, and I'm bloody loving... Uh, divinity original sin to but i guess the change might piss some people off what about you what about you cole any preference um this is a you know, quick answer like mm -hmm. this is easy um so the Baldur, the reason why i said that is Baldur's gate 2 has a focus um on the rhythms of that era of D, &D which is a lot more encounters yeah. uh than divinity original sin 2 the reason why divinity original sin 2's combat works so well is because it's the star of the show and there are comparatively few combats yeah. uh, in the game um even though there's plenty because it's a really long game but it's not uh, the focus um if you had the encounter rate that you have in Baldur's gate so like imagine clearing the the keep that has been taken over by trolls mm -hmm. uh <clears throat> with every single combat was a divinity original sin 2 combat It'd be forever. Um, it, it would take forever you know it would kill the pacing so the way that is the big reason why that game wouldn't work with that is because it's it needs to have that super quick almost autopilot combat to keep the, the to keep the pace up with kind of like the globe trotting the scale you're doing and the number of monsters you're going to slay because that's the genre mm -hmm. uh, it's in um so what i would like to see uh from the Baldur's gate 3 one i don't want to just have them do original you know divinity originals in two combat again because it'd feel a little cheap mm -hmm. um even though i love that it is the best mechanic rpg wise as the best uh mechanical rpg i've ever played mm -hmm. um hands down um but i would like to see them take a more tactical uh dnd system because it would work that yep. way like yeah. we we haven't you know there's a the closest thing is um temple of elemental evil which is 3.5 mm -hmm. um and is a great uh you know that is already a tactical 
you know, uh, RPG system, mm -hmm. take that and tweak it to modern standards, like add enough D and D, uh, flavor to something that does have that kind of tactical spacing, uh, air, you know, attacks of opportunity, creating choke points, things like that. Um, so you could do that in like four, fourth edition or, or 3.5 really easily. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'd love to see them do something like that and then cut down the encounter rate. Uh, you could not have a Baldur's Gate 2 style encounter rate. Like, I think that the it would be cool already if the story was smaller because throwing a ball, like, literally as you becoming a god, um, <laughs> they will have to scale it back. Right. And right. I think that it would be a good opportunity to scale back the uh, just the number of monsters you wade through mm -hmm. as well. So that would be that's the reason why I think that would work. And that's what I would love to see them do. Yeah. Um, you know, having not played Divinity Original Sin 2, I don't really have a lot of skin in this game. Uh, so I'll give my joke slash stock answer, which is everything should have the Gambit system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. More than me. <laughs> um, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, also, uh, you know, uh, so thank you, Lewis. A uh, real quick one uh, that did not read as a gotcha. Um <laughs> Matthew says, what's your favorite lesser known or obscure game console? Being a huge weeb, mine is a toss-up between the PCFX, uh, NEC's 32-bit follow-up to the PC Engine CD with a Peltry 62 Games reach, uh, release for it, and the FM Towns Marty. FM Towns Marty definitely wins the name category. It sweeps yeah. the namies. It always sweeps the, the namies. I feel like that's such Retronauts joke that I feel like, I mean, I want to take it. But they, they make jokes about that like every episode. Oh, okay. It feels yeah. like. No. no, I mean, it, it's fine. It, it is a good name. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, Neo Geo Pocket Color mm -hmm. uh, is my favorite obscure system. Yeah. Oh, you named your cat after it. Not the color I did. one, but yeah. 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 Pocket <laughs> is uh, the Neo Geo classic. You know, he's, he's black and white. Yes, so. of course. Yeah. Um, for me, let's see here, like physically as an artifact, the Vectrex. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Vetrex is good. Um, and then, like, from my own experience, I have a lot of affection or affinity for the Amiga 500, I believe it is, hmm. which was the PC that my friend down the street had that we uh, had a lot of fun playing bootleg uh, bootleg games on. Cool. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Marcus writes, <clears throat> more of a heavy question, but how responsible is media in general for putting warnings in front of content? This is this is broad and covers everything from warnings about sensitive topics to general metrics like the ESRB. How much of knowing what you uh, can and should play or consume falls on the viewer or parent and how much on the creator? And how can creative individuals help limit or mitigate uh, any negative impacts their works can have on others? Yeah. Uh, yeah, good, uh, yeah, good question. We're wading into the controversy zone. Wait, wait, Get ready, welcome YouTube. To, welcome to watch out for fireballs, colon, triggered. Um, <laughs> <laughs> buckle up, grandma. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, trauma and post-traumatic stress are real. Uh, yes. it is fun to make jokes about triggering because, uh, people the on the people right, on the, the worst people on earth are really, really yeah. hung up on it. Um, yep. and weirdly, they also seem to be the most sensitive about, uh, the most, uh, you know, uh, the most number of things really, they, 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 yeah. they get way more, uh, uh, you know, twisted about things than I think we over here on the, uh, you know, on the cooler side of the spectrum do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we're, we're good. <laughs> um... We're good. We are good. Um, the, uh, the I think this this is actually like the, I you know at first this seemed like oh this could be a topic but yeah. kind of not really because mm -hmm. I I think that the answer is actually pretty easy um, in that no media loses anything really for saying like I mean you know down to specifics like yeah. yes in midsummer someone gets burned alive right like that's not great I wouldn't want that on there but as far as like a rating or like hey how heavy is this going to be mm -hmm. um, yeah tell me. 
beforehand what do you lose you know like why wouldn't that be on the creator like you know you might you might lose some kind of surprise i guess like so in the in the rare like doki doki literature club type example where a game is literally a bait and switch but those are so rare yes yeah tell me like and people are oh man trigger warnings colleges are ruined it's like well what you know no one's saying like the the people conflate it with like oh that just means everyone you know they slippery slope it which is like a big conservative thing where like well yeah no uh, yeah, everyone is just going to make fake it to get out of doing work. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the you know the conservative mind is very scared of. Well, the conservative uh, mind projects and says, "This is what I would do." Yeah, exactly. What would the worst people on earth do? How uh, can people take advantage of this? And what if somebody gets something they don't deserve? Yes. Um, and the uh, so they look at something like, "Hey, if there's trigger warnings, then someone will fake having trauma about the thing that is being warned about. Then they won't actually learn about great literature." then their college degree is fake and they might get a degree that they don't earn, mm-hmm. you know, whereas in fact, it's more like, Hey, maybe you just need a heads up about the thing happening. And then yeah. you still get like <laughs> most people I know who need trigger warnings for things. Don't just avoid all things with that mm-hmm. in them. Right. They just need to know it's coming. So they're not surprised by it. Yeah. You know, it's a, uh, it's a, you know, think about how Houdini died, you know, yeah. band walks around getting punched in the stomach every single day of his life. Somebody catches him by surprise, fucking kills him. Yeah, maybe you he know. just wants to know about yeah, it. Yeah, maybe you like, just need to brace like, for it. <laughs> I like knowing what's going to, you know, what I'm going to see. Yeah. You know, uh before before I see it like generally and mm-hmm. a lot of that is just carried across in in terms of genre and premise. Mm-hmm. You know, so so to a degree like, you know, an ESRB thing and the ESRB has all kinds of problems and we don't have time to get into that, right? No, like no. But the 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 uh you know, and that's all stuff similar to the MP, MPAA like you know, oh, like two dudes kissing is way worse than somebody having their intestines strung up like Christmas tree lights, yeah. you know, um, but the uh, so that's a problem. But just the idea like, hey, this might have uh, sex in it. Yeah. Great. You know, I, somebody who is sex yeah. repulsed, maybe doesn't want to play that game or wants to know it's coming. Or maybe, you know, I my, my, my kid is, you know, a, a little bit advanced for his age and can deal with some language. But, you know, maybe I don't I don't I don't want her to see a bunch of like drug use. You yeah. know, or particular kinds of violence. And, you know, I think that it, it, it's kind of funny because it can't, you know, it can fall to the creator if they if they opt to do that. Uh, but also there are all kinds of um, other resources um, that you can go and look at outside of the thing itself, you know, specifically for for parents and for people who are taking care of themselves and making sure that they're not going to get bummed out. There are lots of like databases and things, you know, yeah. um, something we talk about quite a bit. Does the dog die? Yeah, exactly. Which is a good, good thing. In general, I think the creator probably should say like, yeah, this is going to have a bunch of people getting skinned alive in it or whatever. Yeah. yeah. You know, this is, this has Cenobites. Mm -hmm. Warning Cenobites. And it can, and it can be like a little, like a little slide before the thing that shows up and the text can be small, specifically in games. You know, I was thinking about this question and, um, you know, Capcom and Konami have been doing this for years in survival horror games, right? You know, this game can see, contains scenes of explicit violence and gore. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems de rigueur, like we don't even question it. Um, and that is, in fact, a content warning of a kind. But also, like, things are interactive and you could just have uh, an item in the, uh, the, 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 the start menu um, or on the title mm-hmm. screen that just says, like, hey, here are, the, here are the content warnings if you want them. 
Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, and it can also doesn't have to be in the game too. Yeah. Like we're we're talking about like it has to be part of the art. Like for the people, like oh, don't compromise your art, man. Uh, have it as be part of the marketing or what have you. Yeah. Um, just have the information be out there so it's there if you want to look for it. Mm-hmm. Like because you know just purely putting that kind of thing on parents just means like a, a parent has to sit down and play Resident Evil Seven before their kid does, which is I think asking too much. Yeah, it does. You know, so Resident Evil Seven doesn't do that. It does say like, hey, this is explicit violence and gore. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, I have no problem with that. I don't think it takes away from our work with no. the rare exception of like Doki Doki Literature Club or something like that. And again, those are how many games are there that like do it an explicit bait and switch like five, <laughs> you know, that like, you know, that have any kind of uh, public, you know, presence. Yeah, it's very rare uh, that happens. So I'm not going to change the entire system for these edge cases. Uh, people out there who are holding up one finger mm-hmm. and thinking of your edge case. No, uh, no there. Yeah. Um, so thank you, Marcus. Thank you. Uh, uh, Sid says, um, so Blizzard is inevitably going to announce Diablo 4 to try to offset the bad reputation they've earned for themselves. I agree with Gary's opinion of 3, but it did sell well, so I highly doubt 4 will shake things up enough to be worth my time. That said, I'm always curious uh, about that whole subgenre, so I was wondering which dungeon crawlers have caught your interest uh, recently. Even if none of them end up being for me, it'll probably be nice to know for fans who want similar games without giving Blizzard money, because uh, Blizzard's bad. Yep. Yeah. Uh, recently, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't, uh, I haven't played a new game in this genre for a very long time. Uh, that is this kind of, you know, Tappa Tappa. Yeah. Uh, dungeon yeah. crawler. Like you literally spend all of your time in darkest dungeon crawling through dungeons, <laughs> but it doesn't feel like a dungeon crawler to me. Right. Right. Um, so my, my stock recommendation for this and it's super boring and it's not new at all is I think Torchlight 2 is my favorite explicit Diablo like, mm-hmm. um, specifically co-op. If you're not playing at co-op, I think you'd probably die tears of boredom <laughs> like but that is my my stock standard recommendation for this i don't have anything new that i think scratches that itch specifically but it's not a genre i like very much so yeah, yeah same here I, I i tend to have a very limited appetite for those you know the yeah. ones that i have enjoyed in the past have been the more uh the more console like ones so you're uh champions of uh norath things like that mm-hmm yeah. But those aren't new, you know, <laughs> like yeah. we're not getting an awful lot of those. Um, was uh, was Ultimate Alliance 3 any good? You know, I, I only played the tutorial missions of it. Yeah. I kind of stopped because it was uh, and, I, and I will pick it back up um, at some point. Um, the uh, it's real weird. It, it is make it makes some uh, advances towards being a little bit more mechanically complicated. There's like a more of an emphasis on blocking and dodging. Hmm. Uh, in the game and uh even though i am like ride or die for undocked switch mm-hmm. it was a little small it was like the screen was a little bit too small to see what was going on so yeah. i might need to save that for when i eventually bust out my dock again no yeah. um i was gone dockless for like three years now like since the switch came out basically <laughs> since i first played breath of the wild i've gone dockless but yeah. it might be time to dock it up again the, whenever the... i actually play that <laughs> you pull the dock out and the ports have healed over yeah <laughs> Exactly. I have to go take it down to the for a, to the Claire's at the mall to re-pierce them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, I'm sorry. You know, I'm going to backpedal that. That's fucking awful. The thing I just said. Yeah, it's pretty gross. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's very uh, existence. <laughs> very Cronenbergian. Yeah. Like that phone case, that skin phone case. What? You see that? Like somebody made a phone case that uh, mimics human skin, like feels like skin, looks a little bit like skin and reacts like skin. Does it scream when you hold a lighter up to it? Uh, I haven't tried it. (laughs) It hasn't hasn't arrived yet. I don't know if it feels pain like skin. I don't know if it has a soul like skin. Right, right. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's worth looking at. It's pretty disgusting and I don't understand why anyone would own it. Uh, oh God, no, 
No. It kind of looks like you just dip your phone in silly putty too. Yeah, a little bit. You know, I, I can't imagine really putting that in my like, pocket. No, it's it's repulsive. It's it's a weird like gimmicky gross thing. But you know, it got its three days in the sun because I hate it. Yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> Absolutely awful. We live in disgusting times. Yeah. All this, you have the freedom to do anything in the world, and this is what you do. Yep. <laughs> like, come on, man. Uh, we don't deserve to make it. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, this is uh, this is you. Which, I, uh, I believe so, yeah. Um, Mark asks, I don't think I've ever truly enjoyed a crafting mechanic in a game. The closest I've ever come is watching that pot dance around in Breath of the Wild. But I could do, I, but I could definitely do without collecting thousands of useless items to make a few dozen useful ones. How do you all weigh in on this? To craft or not to craft? And are there any examples of crafting systems that you genuinely enjoy? Uh, what, yeah. What do you think, Cole? Um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for a crafting system in a game have been, um, even back, uh, going back to, um, like EverQuest, um, had a, had a good time doing the engaging with the crafting and that it was a way to, you know, make use of things that you picked up and found and be useful to a party. Uh, nowadays, I think that it has to be in service, uh, to another mechanic. Like it can't just be, it can't be the, 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 the center of it, unless it is something like, you know, Factorio or Satisfactory where, you know, what you are doing is crafting, you know, crafting an output that will act as an input for something else. Um, mm -hmm. and I think my kind of my most recent favorite of these has been in, uh, Subnautica. Mm -hmm. uh, because that is explicitly in service to survival and exploration. I, I generally agree with you uh, in that I, I think it is much better if it is uh, you know part of the game. Mm -hmm. I think a, a like grafted on crafting system is one of the worst things you can do to your game. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, think about like um, you know we we both love The Witcher Three. Uh, do you have positive thoughts thinking about the crafting system in that game? Not really. No. You know, not at all. Like not even remotely. You mm -hmm. know. Uh, it's just like so waste of a bunch of people's time and, you know, waste <laughs> of uh, and it didn't even feel like in that game, like it did meaningful things to drive the uh, you know economy. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's become a weird shorthand for like we need to have a collectibles yeah, uh, yeah. places to give you exploration. But we need to have such tight reign over the growth, you know, the, the our avatar growth that we cannot put anything meaningful there. Right, right. You know, uh, and specifically in Witcher, I don't mean like potion crafting, which I think is actually really good and flavorful. Mm -hmm. I meant uh, making, making <clears throat> your own swords. Yeah. Um, in that game. But the, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I generally don't enjoy it. I have fond memories of doing it in Skyrim. No. Yeah. Uh, for some reason or another, even though that is like literally just an XP hack. Like you do that, you make dagger after dagger. But for some reason, that is a fond memory and I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in general, though, I think that I really, I think that games, I think there need to be 90% less of them in games. Hmm. But that would let the 10% that do have them uh, be good. Yes. You know, so you'd get your subnauticas and your, you know, your, your don't starves and your long darks mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And that would be good. Yeah. And then we, they wouldn't be in the Witcher three where it's entirely superfluous and dumb. Right. Except for the, except yeah. for the potions, except for potions, which it, like actually makes sense. Like yeah. just some restraint, I guess, like getting rid of most of them and showing restraint for the rest, mm -hmm. you know, I think would be, would be really good. But yeah, I, I do find them because it, what, what they do is they sap a, a, a good feel about finding something Yeah, yeah. like in Subnautica, that is a game about finding stuff. Mm hmm. You know, like you're finding things to to help you survive. In Witcher Three, like it's not a game about finding stuff. So when you do find something, when you walk into a to an area or get a treasure behind a boss or something, it seems like it should be something really cool. Cool, you know? a bolt of cotton. Yeah, not not cool. <laughs> Extremely not cool. 
Um, you know what also I think kind of works for it, and this is, uh, you know, ridiculous, but I also like as now that I have played through the game fully twice uh, and I've kind of settled with my thoughts on Fallout 4 mm-hmm. and the crafting of that game actually does kind of work. Yeah. In, in a weird way, like playing through it is actually is pretty enjoyable mm-hmm. uh, to engage with that system, which is really strange uh, because it's a real mess. Yeah. But I, I actually I do think that it is pretty fun. And, and someday we'll have to do that game because it's, inter- it's interesting garbage. I need an excuse to play it. <laughs> like oh. I've, I've I've probably put about five hours into it and I've enjoyed the crafting like it, it, it fits the survival context of that game pretty well, I yeah. think. But. I, I like I want to play it if we do it for the show. I'm always torn like about doing things with mods because I want to actually just talk about the game as it is. Mm-hmm. But maybe I played that enough to where I could do the survival mode or do a mod or something <laughs> where it's like actually really requires yeah. you engage with the crafting because that's the the Bethesda problem is like you start out having to engage with it and then mm-hmm. you're a super god eight hours in. Right. You know, and I, I, I built my fun house and then I stopped building stuff because I stopped having to because, you know, mm-hmm. Bethesda because bethesda because bethesda reasons mm-hmm. um yeah um uh benjamin says uh, i've been thinking a lot about trends in AAA games lately the 3d mascot platformer for example was a genre that seemingly came out of nowhere in the mid to late 90s uh suddenly dominated the market with dozens of games like crash byro banjo donkey kong etc coming out every other week before seemingly disappearing just as quickly as they came what other trends from the past in gaming feel like they have a time capsule quality to them and what mechanics or genres uh that are popular right now do you think will similarly feel extremely era specific uh to the xbone and ps4 era like 3d collectathons feel tied to the n64 ps1 era yeah what are we going to age out of uh battle royale i know that's yeah, like yeah. A, that, that, that's a stupid joke answer like haha uh what, what yeah. is it uh a monitor announces machinery and battle royale or whatever um yeah. things like that uh but yeah I, w- I would say for this one right now that, that that specifically uh five years ago it would have been things that we were just talking about survival uh kind of games uh, maybe, mechanics yeah yeah survival survival or, or like crafting rust. Yeah, like yeah, um, specifically stuff like Rust, um, yeah. m- m- Minecraft likes. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm basically with you. I think that the, those things will uh, eventually go away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would love uh, something. I think that we associate with this genre that I think will go away because it has to and is already starting to mm-hmm. is the the game of service yeah. thing. Um, those keep coming up and failing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, because people realize like, oh, it, it's very similar to MMOs. Like people don't need a new MMO. They have WoW. Yeah. You know, and, and that's not quite, you know, strictly true, but it's got enough truth to it that like the with current, you know, the resources that are going into this and ongoing resources of those games, people can't support those if they don't get a wide enough player base. And they're not because people already have Destiny 2 mm-hmm. and they don't need to play Borderlands 3 or what have you. Yeah. You know, um, so I think that is like really very emblematic. Of, of the now mm-hmm. and will hopefully uh, go away. Agreed. Uh, Cause people get really mad at it. Really? Rightfully so. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can't, so Kat Bailey was tweeting today about one and I'd never like heard of it. She's like, have we reached peak games of service bubble and mentioned one that failed that I had never even heard of. <laughs> like as somebody who is on the internet, uh, most of the day, every day, right? Like I just never heard of it. It's like, man, these guys, you know, stop doing this. You're really barking up the wrong tree mm-hmm. uh, with us. So, yeah. Um, another one that I, another genre that I think is very, very specific to a, to an era is, um, third person shooter. Mm-hmm. I really oh. associate that with the, with the back half of the aughts. Yeah. We, and we like, we still get them, but we don't get them as much like the, that, that perspective is, you know, and that kind of, that kind of play feels like it is 
integrated into other stuff more and more, mm-hmm. as opposed to yeah. just kind of being like uh, an innovation on its own. Yeah, yeah, I I would uh, I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, kind of moving on from the game question, Holland has a question as well, but I think it dovetails well into our discussion. Yes. So we can kind of ask, answer it in there or talk about it in there, mm-hmm. uh, kind of on accident. Yeah. No. Um, moving on to, uh, life questions, um, a real quick one, uh, Orkibit says, uh, for Gary, have you checked out the preview for the next magic set thrones of Eldraine? Uh, what are your thoughts? Um, just real quick. I watch, I read like preview cards when they pop up in my Facebook feed, but I haven't played magic arena, uh, in a very, very long time. I'm like two sets behind. I did not play the last set either. Um, when I got to that, I got really, really into it for a while and then kind of fell off. Hmm. So I still like it. I still have the account. I haven't deleted it off my computer. I just have not played magic in a really long time. No. Uh, there, there's a second one here for Cole. How are you finding home ownership? I'm partially asking because I have no idea how I'll ever, how I'll ever afford one. And also I'm about as handy as a double amputee. It's nice. It is, um, it is a privilege. Of course I had to move to a completely different place to make it happen to, you know, to be affordable, but, um, I don't know. It's fun to have projects. I bored Gary very briefly yesterday talking about putting up pegboard in my garage and getting mm-hmm. my house ready for winter. Uh, and no matter how often I neg Cole about it, he still, <laughs> still talks to me about his own owner, owner, ownership <laughs> projects. But no, I, you know, I, I, I associate it with a bunch of, with a bunch of other positive things. Like as a renter, I never could have had a cat or it would have made things very difficult, but I own this place. And now I have Greta here basking in the sunlight on the, on her window seat. So the no bosses part. Yeah, you know, is uh, is 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 the part that's most appealing to me. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't want to be under control of anyone nope. as best I can, like yeah. die free. Um, <laughs> the uh, and then uh, Orkiewicz continues uh, some quick YouTube recommendations. Uh, we'll go ahead and give these airtime, even though I have nothing. I have not heard of these. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Sir Moore um, for interviews in VR chat mm-hmm. um, and Jacob Geller uh, has video essays, including one on Wolfenstein. Uh, which I should check out because mm-hmm. I like video essays. Um, and also, Orkibitz loved Duckfest. Yeah. Uh, and he uh, had a whole lot of fun. So good. Thank you. Glad. Thank you for coming out. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Jonathan writes, hey, guys, got a bit of life advice question for you. So I've been GMing a tabletop RPG for about a year now, uh, but recently the passion has nearly become poison to me. One of my players, a genuinely great friend and person, uh, has made this a massive stress source for my life. Due to financial reasons, she had to move to a different state with her husband, and we've been using video messaging to compensate. However, this is obviously something uh, that is uh, uh, that is therapeutic for her in a way that I am not prepared for or capable of handling. Every rescheduling makes me feel like crap because it uh, obviously upsets her a lot. Adding on to that, her character is making me rip my hair out as she will constant as she constantly refuses calls to action. Though ultimately, going along will uh, uh, going along will not stop vocalizing how much she hates having to do something she doesn't want to. Understandable on some level when you work a menial job for a crap company or boss, but good lord, uh, this has literally driven two of my other friends from the campaign. I have no clue what to do here. I've tried gently broaching the subject, but this hasn't worked. I don't know. Am I over? Am I overreacting? I miss running for my other friends and I want to start a campaign with them, but doing that feels like emotional violence to me. Um, and there's a PS here. Um, Jonathan also went to Duckfest. Thank you. Oh, thanks Jonathan. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that this is something that is worth talking about. Mm-hmm. 
you know, with, with the person in question, right? Yeah. Like just like uh, not in game and not, you know, maybe over Skype, like maybe give them a call mm-hmm. and just say like, hey, you know, uh, this is, you know, uh, are you OK? Yeah. Uh, you know, how can can I help? Things like that, because it sounds like the person is struggling. Yeah. Um, if they didn't do this before, and every once in a while, somebody, uh, you know, people are not their best self. Yeah. You know, all the time. Um, at the same time, though, like I think when you're running a game, like you are running it for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a really important like expectation setting kind of thing. Like I think that running uh, DMing is like, you know, partially about like setting rules, like. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, hey, you know, specifically like you're, you're talking about the uh, the calls for adventure and then going along and grousing about everything. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, the example I always think about is when I've run Call of Cthulhu, I've always said like, hey, if any of this happened to you in real life, like you would go and live with your parents for a year and try to forget it. But the the self-selecting thing about your characters, you need to create characters that are curious enough to continue in the game. Yeah, they they should not be here if they're not that. That is the rule for the people you make. Um, you know, you cannot partway through this just be like hey i don't care yeah or i you know i'm gonna go home like yes that might be role playing but you're going to make characters that aren't that i think kind of framing it in terms of the game like these are the rules of the game this is the thing might help kind of soften the practical side and then the friendship side and emotional side like i think you just need to you know do a check-in and and be honest about it like honest and compassionate about it especially if people are leaving the game yeah uh Um, you know that is a bummer for them and and not fair to those people who signed up to play the game mm -hmm. um you know, it's not what they signed up for. Yeah. Uh, conversation definitely seems to be in order. Uh, compassion is the, is, is the watchword. Uh, you know, like Gary said, especially if this person hadn't been doing this before. Um, and, you know, it kind of sounds like she's not having a lot of fun playing, <laughs> playing the game. Mm. Uh, you know, if she is constantly bucking against the, the, you know, the, the, the flow of the table, you know, so I would probably, I don't know, just ask like, Hey, is there something else that we can do? I value your friendship and I understand you're in a, you're, you're in a really rough place. Can we have like a separate thing where maybe we play, we have a, like a co-op night. Maybe we yeah. do, uh, you know, maybe, maybe we, you know, just have, have our own multiplayer engagement kind of thing that fills that need that doesn't create so much stress because, you know, you, you said it right there in the, in the, in the question, Jonathan, you don't feel like you are, um, you know, capable or prepared to do this amount of, of emotional labor, uh, labor for her, you know, mm-hmm. taken to its logical extreme, this will harm your friendship and it will cut her loose in a way that doesn't seem like it would be good for her. Yeah. Um, and it won't be good for you either. So being and honest I and saying, Hey, I, I don't know that I can, I can provide what you need. Can we, can we renegotiate the terms of this? Yeah. Yeah. And, and hopefully it's temporary. Yeah. You know, hopefully it's, a, it's something that somebody's going through, yeah. right? Like we, I think we all have times like where like, uh, you know, I can't give anything to anyone now. Right. Like, you know, whatever you need, I can't give it. I just mm-hmm. don't have it. And like, I need to be a purely selfish being for a short amount of time. Right. You know, and not everybody knows when they're going through something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so this person might not even really understand, mm-hmm. uh, know that there's a problem. So yeah. introducing that kind of thing tactfully to might introduce some self-reflection. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd recommend any of those things over like cutting ties because of this person, if it is really truly like therapeutic mm-hmm. for this person, you don't want to do that to a friend. Um, right. You know, you're not on the hook to give more than you can give. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, like maybe they don't know. Yeah. 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 Be, be gentle about it, I think. Yeah. But gentle but firm. Um, 
Tara says, uh, hey guys, great show and great con. Uh, glad I got to meet you in person finally. Uh, my question is pretty simple, but hopefully something fun will come of it. Uh, what, besides getting to meet me, of course, was the highlight of this year's Portland Retro Gaming Expo for you? Uh, or what was something unusual or striking that occurred? Let's hear an anecdote. So this wasn't on the show floor, um, but um, during our karaoke night, I forget who sang the song. Um, but, uh, they sang the song around the world by red hot chili peppers, Sean. Okay. Sean. Yes. Uh, that's, that's the worst, uh, that's the worst song <laughs> from the worst band. Yeah. And I, uh, I, yeah. I, I knew this song, uh, because it's, I think it's the opening track off of Californication, an album that I had as a kid. And even then I sure. knew it was like really embarrassing. I was more there for the, you know, I think it was the like other side and what have you, which is embarrassing like the, in a different way. The <laughs> best song that's, a, that's like the best album that is, a you know, about California and fucking, <laughs> you know, in terms of both those things at once. Yep. That's gotta be in my top 10. <laughs> <You know>? Um, <laughs> but, uh, that uh, around the world in particular has extremely cheesy lyrics uh and also is like shockingly racist so just watching your reaction gary and the reaction of yeah. i think andrew one of your bandmates there and just generally as sean got up there and unleashed this obscenity on the room yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. that was a miracle to me it's a, that was really fun. Uh, that was probably going to be to be my answer as well. Um, that is the the worst band. <laughs> I, I'm sorry that they're the worst band. Uh, you know, Andrew was dying inside. I was dying inside. I don't remember ever hearing that song. Like I vaguely remember the hook. But I definitely never listened to the lyrics before, which are really racist. Yeah, shockingly, like shockingly so. Like way they they should know better. Like it's really really horrible. <laughs> And then up until that point, the lyrics are really bad. Uh -huh. uh, the video is really bad. Like we watched the uh, me and the band after band practice watched the video. <laughs> and, and I mentioned we've been like ex you know, sending our HCP, you know, uh, gifts back and forth to each other uh, recently because we're all uh, Brian, who plays drums in that band, uh, also had never heard that song or saw the video and was just like really groaning at all the shit. Like me and Andrew were kind of goofing on it, so that was a, that was a great, uh, great horrible moment, yeah. uh, which is truly one of the most annoying, disgusting racist bands ever. Uh, just, like, it, the the uh, the grade school level of racism in that song is just like I can't believe it came out. You know, it's like really really amazing. Um, so that that was really good. Um, it was nice to meet you, Tara. Yes. Um, uh, what else uh, was also good about this show? Um, oh, here's a cool thing. Uh, the Video Game History Foundation had a Game Boy camera and printer set up. Oh, yeah. So you could take a Game Boy camera picture of yourself and get a print of it. I think that's really cool. Mm -hmm. So that was a nice little surprise. I didn't get as much. I didn't spend any time in the arcade this year. I meant yeah. to, but it was too crowded. Um, it was too crowded this year. The same thing happened with the Lovecraft Film Fest. Like everything you love will get too big for you. Yeah. Um, it's like a reverse beta situation. Mm -hmm. Like you just get smaller and smaller uh, as you get older. Yeah. It's a bummer. Yeah. So... Yeah, but uh, yeah, it was good, good, uh, good PRT. Yeah, and you know, along with the usual stuff that, like, unfortunately, I think I take for granted a little bit, which I shouldn't. Which is people coming up and saying, oh, you, you, the, "I like the work that nice you things. do." Yeah, kind of yeah, coming up and saying nice things, and you know, meet, you know, meeting new people and stuff like that. Like, you know, like all, like all of that is good, but it's like it's what we're there for. So yeah. it doesn't. It it it, does, it it sometimes feels like it doesn't bear uh, speaking out loud. Yeah, but it was it was nice. Yes. So, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, let's see here. Ryan says, with it being the best holiday season, that being Halloween, um, I was wondering about any Halloween traditions you two have. Hitting up local good haunted houses, attending annual parties with friends, maybe engaging in a light spate of demon summoning. Additionally, I was wondering what, if any, books you are currently reading. I'm personally reading through Where Nightmares Come From, The Art of Storytelling in the Horror Genre. I need to make a note of that. Um, as well as um, uh, 1177 bc the year civilization collapsed yeah um i uh used to go to a halloween party that an old co-worker threw mm -hmm. every year i've told stories about that in the network uh, that co-worker moved to florida oh. uh so i uh no longer do that and this year i have no plans yeah. um the haunted house i really loved went away yeah um there are other ones in town but i don't know if i feel like taking a gamble on it right um this might be a good hunker down year which is you know kind of sad but also like you know sometimes that's what life is yeah so, okay yeah, I usually try to hit up at least one haunted house. Um, I I went to um, I went to you know Halloween parties when I was down in Cincinnati, but I don't really have you know friends who do that up here. Um, so that's a little bit of a bummer. Uh, but uh, but yeah, for me, it's just uh, it's it's more about just enjoying enjoying the weather, the decoration, and indulging in more horror stuff than uh, than <laughs> usual. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then I started reading Bird Box. Oh yeah. The, uh, the book that the popular Netflix show was based on no. uh, because I want to rewatch the movie mm -hmm. uh, at some point during my like Shocktober, which I think is just probably just not going to end. Like I'm not going to watch a movie a day, but right, right. I'm still going to make my way through my list because scary movies are good all year round. Yep. Um, and I've enjoyed the ritual. I haven't hit it every day, you know, this month, but I've enjoyed the ritual of like meaningfully trying to watch more movies. Yeah. Um, so I've been reading that mm -hmm. uh, and it's good so far. I'm early on it. Nice. But. Um, I am reading, uh, currently the, um, it's a, a series of books. It's three of them. Uh, the, the notebook, the plan and the third lie by Agatha Kristoff. Um, that is Agatha Kristoff. Yes. That, that is, that is extremely like just a off brand Agatha Christie sounding fake name. Dude. I know. Right. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's an actual I person. The book of Agatha Christoph. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm just Agatha Christoff when he's getting hurt. You know? <laughs> it's, it's not sound real at all. Dude. Yeah. And one of the books is called The Notebook. Yeah. Like everything about that sounds fake, Cole. Like, <laughs> it's, it's quite good. It is a, it like, it, it is, it is a shocking, a shocking series about uh, growing up in Eastern Europe. There's like a vague, fantastical, um, a vague fantasy kind of element, but it's like growing up in extreme privation. These two twins who are basically inseparable from each other uh, and grow up to be the weirdest motherfuckers in the entire world as, uh, as kind of the communist regime starts to take over um in the area you know it's it's based a little bit on agatha christoph's um ah. own childhood yes um, the, the teleporter it, accident <laughs> the popular teleporter accident that I, learned right. I, I found out about this because uh it came up in a discussion of mother three on uh retronauts a long while ago say and uh the creator of mother three had said that this was this was a little bit of their inspiration for that yeah. So like I don't know that that, that seems weird. So I'll read read those um, quick reads as well. Um, uh, additionally, in terms of like comics and stuff, I am uh, rereading the filth at the moment. And as far as manga goes, I am reading something called the Drifting Classroom, which is very good. Yeah, I, I've uh, had my eye on that for a while. Yeah, uh, actually, um, yeah, uh, Casey uh, Wolfolk 
says, uh, how well does I am a professional video games podcaster go over during dates? On one hand, I can see the initiative, hard work and creativity coming across as huge positives. Uh, (laughs) On the other hand, it's definitely a specific niche. And in my experience, there's still a video games are for kids stigma out there. The question assumes that you both at least date occasionally. So feel free to substitute general social interactions for dating if that's not the case, or if you feel like a more general answer would be more interesting. Um, in general, like it does sound like a fake job, and I mm-hmm. live in a town where a lot of people uh, fake it till they make it. Like a lot of people say that they do something like like what I do, but they're a barista. Yeah, you know, and they they do what I do. I'm not trying to minimize it, but mm-hmm. like, you know, the full time part of it doesn't always get across. Right. Um, and in general, people get kind of excited when they hear podcasts because they think that like I'm the engineer on my favorite murder or something. Yeah. And then find out I'm this thing that they've never heard of, and they're like, oh, uh, you know. So it 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 goes over about medium. Mm-hmm. Um, the bigger thing that I have run into, um, at least in the last year, is that uh, it is a really weird job in terms of schedule and demands, mm-hmm. um, and that can place uh, place some social strain, you know, both in terms of relating to other people and them understanding. Um, you know, we talked about this very early on. Like, you know, no one – if you're like, man, I got to beat the game, this game this weekend, people are like, oh, cry me a fucking river. Mm-hmm. And I have to be like, no, no, it's actually – like, it actually kind of sucks. Like, I have, you know, 14 hours of game to do in uh, in a day and a half. I mean, and, like call, you know, call, calling it homework is the best way to describe it. Like that's how yeah. I've, that's how I've explained to my family that like, Hey, yeah. I'm, I'm going to disappear because like, imagine, imagine I am studying for an exam, uh, except it's not my GPA that is, uh, in danger. It is my livelihood. Yeah. Your gamer point average. <laughs> the, uh, so, uh, so that part, it makes it hard to, to explain to other people. And then also I naturally keep real weird hours. Yeah. So that can have an impact to you, uh, just in terms of like, you know, everyone getting out, you know, the assumption that everyone is free at 5 PM and like, I'm not always free at 5 PM. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes that's when work happens for me. Yeah. So because I've, cho- I've chosen that. <laughs> yeah, I've, yeah. I've totally chosen it, but it's mm-hmm. also like when I work the best, like yeah. I, I haven't chosen arbitrarily. It's not mm-hmm. like to be out of step. It's just like, Hey, this is what, what feels right. And if there's, you know, if there's more, I mean, there'd be more than one, but one of the like overarching, things that I as I've learned as I got older is just kind of like going with the, the flow a little bit more in mm-hmm. terms of what my body or my brain wants. Yeah, no, it's, I, I, I call it following my energy, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, you know, and it's just like, well, this is, this is what makes sense to me. Like, why should I fight this? I spent years thinking that like, Oh no, I should actually probably get on like a, you know, a 10 to six schedule mm-hmm. every day with really highly regimented, uh, playtime and stuff. And it just doesn't work for me. I don't nope. like it yep. when I do that. It's like, I could do that. But I don't like it. Why would I do it? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't have to. And it doesn't it makes worse work. Mm-hmm. It's worse for everything around. Like there's so many things like that where uh, conforming to kind of ideas like that not only makes you less happy, but also makes you create worse work mm-hmm. and creates worse productivity and happiness generally in the world. Like yeah. it gives worse utility mm-hmm. to the world. Like I, I my responsibility is to, you know, to operate in the way that creates the best work yeah. and makes me the most happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, so doing that ends up meaning that sometimes like, yeah, like people will be like, what are you doing this weekend? I'm just like, oh, it's Saturday. So I'm going to spend all like Friday is my overflow day mm-hmm. for like, editing and stuff. Saturday, I end up getting ahead on, on homework basically every Saturday. Like it is yeah. not a party day for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a, it is a homework day, Yeah, you know, and it just makes sense to me. Yeah. yeah the same, you know, and for me, you know, I don't date, but, um, you know, just in, in describing to people, I just gauge, I gauge on how savvy they are. Um, if they are not savvy at all, I just say I'm a writer. Um, if they seem savvy, uh, a little bit savvy, I say internet radio. Um, and if they seem, you know, 
Ultra savvy? No, 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 not Savaraga. Yeah, if, <laughs> Savaraga. Yeah, if yeah. if if they're like in the top, you know, third of the percentile, I say, oh, I, I do podcasts, um, and that 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 has generally worked for me. So mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and you know, they, they 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 don't tend to believe that I can make a living off of it, but you know, they they don't have to uh, because I yeah. know that I do. So yeah, so it's best to to try not to worry about that kind of thing, and you know, that's more or less difficult depending on the day mm-hmm. uh this question uh, we should we should pick up the pace a little bit but this is uh this question ties into that so i want to get this one out of the yes. way before we move on <clears throat> to uh media quickly hitting media um jonathan says uh something i've been curious about for a while as full-time podcasters or internet wizards what does an average day look like for you uh do you keep a hard schedule or do you wing it ops on a scale of one to horny uh how much are you looking forward to the outer worlds um, second part, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, right now, the only way that my brain is releasing good feel chemicals when I play video games is either putting myself to sleep, doing darkest dungeon or getting ahead on work. Mm-hmm. So I don't know when I will play outer worlds. Um, I'm also, Will has been like dipping poison in my ear about how, uh, he's disappointed with it and disco Elysium is better. Mm-hmm. And I keep saying like, yeah, you know, he's like, how much do you want to hear this? I'm like, none. Yeah. And then he keeps doing it. So I don't really understand why, but it is, uh, you know, I am still keeping an open mind and really looking forward to it. Like I vibe with the combat in those games like he feels like it's a waste of time yeah so i think that will probably uh be a big differentiator mm-hmm. um and i'm looking for i'm hoping to play it in november yeah um if one and if one is one and horny is 10 i'm probably about an eight mm-hmm. yeah give, at least give yourself an 8.4 <laughs> you know so, so, I, I don't so do gets, half numbers, so Gary. I don't do like, half oh, numbers. Well, otherwise, they're not going to get the bonus. <laughs> no, I don't care. Um, yeah, the uh, right is eight point five. I can't remember what the dumb yeah. uh, New Vegas thing was. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, for the for, for the first part of it, uh, you know, it's not it's not a fixed schedule. Gary and I have specific days uh, that we tend to record. Uh, you know, with the two of us uh, doing our shows, it's either two or three days a week. Uh, and that usually happens at roughly the same time because of the time difference. It's always, uh, it always starts at three in the afternoon for me. Mm-hmm. So like I generally during the day try to be up and showered by at least like eight or eight thirty, And, you know, from that until about hmm, 11, I take care of stuff around the house or I do errands, things like that. And then I grab lunch and then come back and then start working on stuff. Uh, errands and stuff includes like going and checking on my family or doing things around their house for them. Um, and then like work, work happens from, you know, 11 to, you know, probably like seven or eight, something like that. Hmm. I, I, uh, tend to get up around 10, uh, these days I, uh, get up, I do, uh, any last minute prep for whatever recording I'm doing that day. Um, I tend to record, uh, four to five days a week. So two to three days with Cole and mm-hmm. then one day with Will and then generally like, you know, Jeremy or other, yeah. uh, somewhere in there. Um, so I do last minute prep over breakfast. Uh, I record and then, uh, generally prepare for the evening, which depending on the day. So it's either like game night or band night, or I'll go out with friends or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then tend to do my homework, uh, part of the day at night. Yeah. Um, try to do my editing on Friday if I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, Friday is my like specific work overflow day. Mm-hmm. Um, so we never schedule recording on that day. Um, and from 10 to evening or when I want to switch into homework mode, um, that ends up being a, uh, a day for edits and other admin stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So let's, uh, let's move on. 
uh, to other questions just so we can get to our, our topic. Let's do a couple of media questions, mm -hmm. just a couple show questions pretty quick. Yep. Uh, lightning round and then topic. Yeah, let's do that. Sound good? Mm -hmm. um, is this me or you? Um, let's say it's you. Okay, this is very quick. Ryan says, uh, maybe more for Gary than Cole, but based on your preference in tabletop games, you've ever looked, in, looked into stars without number. Uh, having an OD&D framework and mindset applied broadly to sci-fi has been one of my favorite experiences in tabletop recently, especially due to systems uh, to the system's high lethality and being set up to reward planning from the player to avoid or approach combat tactically. Uh, I've never heard of it. Um, I have not played it. Um, I am generally not super warm on sci-fi uh in in terms of like a genre like i prefer weird fantasy horror kind of stuff but i will maybe take a look yeah um let's see here i'll do one here from limo rec uh this has a couple of different parts to it hello gents a few questions here remnant from the ashes came up on the level recently will you be considering that for bonfire side chat given how much you liked immortal unchained I would uh, sure. need, yeah, I would need to jump into like, it and play it to have a more specific uh, kind of reckon on it. My, my my sense is that there's some proc gen stuff in that that would make it a little bit difficult to talk about, but it, it yeah. probably warrants at least the Dead Cells treatment. Yeah, if we liked it. Yeah. Like, I, I want to check it out and stuff. The the kind of It's also the co-op one yeah. or the, uh, the multiplayer one, and it's like I don't know whether I'll have people to play that with. Right. Um, if that ends up making a difference. So, like, I'm not horny for it, um, but, yeah, maybe at some point. Mm-hmm. Like every souls like now gets this weird flash in the pan. Like everyone is really hyped for it <laughs> as soon as it comes out and then it goes away. Yeah. Like see also like everyone being really hyped, like all our community playing death gambit. Then we announced it and everyone had moved on to blasphemous. <laughs> yeah. And then and we're then like chastising now, us for not doing blasphemous. blasphemous. But then now we're firmly in the blasphemous backlash. Yeah. Uh, from people on the slack who are just like, no, no, it's actually not that good. Now that we beat it. <laughs> I'm like, it's gotta, well, gotta I mean, down. no, or we just <laughs> need to stop listening to them. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It's one or one or the other. Yeah. Um, so maybe uh, it is it's something that we'd want to do after the surge. I am more interested in Ashen mm -hmm. uh, than that. So it's like if it comes up, it'll be down the road. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but maybe mm -hmm. we'll consider it. Um, I have not, the next question says if we've seen uh, Carnival Row. I have not seen Carnival Row. Yeah, no, have have, have not. Um, I've only <laughs> seen the the promos for it. I forget that uh, forget that Prime has content. Uh, yeah. Additionally, I also had a great time at Duckfest. Glad you put it on. Uh, I was a little too, little too tired uh, to drive to the meetup at Quarter World after, so I didn't take an opportunity to tell Jeremy and Cole that I really enjoy um, the apparently more niche or lesser commented on Radio Free Midworld pod. Uh, thanks to them and Autumn and all the regular guests that do the podcast. So thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, go Jeremy. Yeah. Some, some Jeremy love. <laughs> Uh, moving on to uh, show questions, Greg says, what episodes of any of your podcasts would you consider to be some of your best work or your personal favorites? Conversely, are there any episodes that you wish you could remove from the Internet and try again? Uh, nothing I wish to remove from the Internet and try again uh, that I can think of. There's mm -hmm. nothing that bad. Like we wouldn't put it out if we right. thought it was just like absolute dog shit, mm -hmm. I think. Um, the, uh, there are like parts of it. I feel, you know, we've talked about this a lot. I think the final fantasy six sketches are dire. Mm -hmm. I think there's some sketches that are really bad that are attached to good episodes. Yeah. Um, the, uh, and as far as stuff that's really good, this is a really obvious answer. Um, but I've been in just kind of bolstered by a lot of people talking about it, uh, to us at PRGE, but I think our Bioshock infinite, uh, evisceration is really good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, for what that's worth. Mm -hmm. It was also a lot of fun to do. Um, yeah. I am really fond of our pathologic episode. I feel like that, mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we, we have gotten response on that one as well. And I think that that provides a service, you mm -hmm. know, in that it is a, you know, an amazing game that we recommend nobody play. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then like there are specific episodes of abject suffering that I think are that are that I think are very funny 
but you know, yeah. I, I forget when we said this, but like, it's hard to have time for pride because yeah, when we yeah. put something out, it's like, yeah, we're on to the next one where, you know, we're constantly cranking. So there's not an awful lot of like constantly cranking. <laughs> it's <laughs> like know. crank, but with masturbation. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah there, there's no time to like behold something they're just kind of like oh this this seems to have gotten a good response cool and then moving on yeah so no no, no. yeah we, we put out too much stuff for that like it's not like a uh and this is no uh disparagement but like a youtuber who puts out something every once a month mm -hmm. you know and then that kind of dominates the conversation for a while yeah uh for them like for us like we do something for a week and it will dominate the slack mm -hmm. for a short time and then kind of moves on like, yes. I think that we're doing work that's, like, really, really good. I don't I don't think that we are doing sub-work of YouTube essayist. I think that we put out work that is on par with that at a clip that makes it hard to, uh, to have any kind of refractory kind of period for, yeah, you know, of, yeah. like, Basque or... Yeah, there's no... There's very, very little afterglow, yeah. Yeah, that's not really... And also our brains. Well, yeah, you know, there, there, there's that, too. Yeah, I also am pro not programmed to feel good. I'm not that kind of robot. Like, it's not, <laughs> you know, it's not warm. Um, or, you know, like, I just, I, I, it just, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel productive, you know, to, yeah. to, to, to take time on that. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, I genuinely think that, like, that is a big part of it. Yeah. Like, that's not the work, mm -hmm. you know, shut up and get to the work is a real, like, value of mine. Yes. You know, and that extends into lots of uh, kind of proclivities I have, like things that I, you know, attitudes I have towards um, uh, generally like like things I feel about, you know, what can be called and or confused with or called humility mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, certain kinds of like, you know, when I get very frustrated by uh, boy geniuses, yeah. like, you know, some of my uh, frustration with Jonathan Blow comes from the meta discussions around him yeah, yeah. as a guy and and not only i mean that guy sucks but like <laughs> not only does you know his, his politics and his attitudes are dumb but also just like hey this isn't the work just shut up and make the thing yeah you know and 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 let me decide what it is like you know no one should have ever told you you're a kid genius yeah uh quite so many times and mm -hmm. it has interfered with your ability to to be a human properly yeah. You know, it's it's a very frustrating uh, thing that I have. And part of, I never feel that way about like, yeah, just shut up and make the thing, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, um, I think I think that's more, you know, the, that's probably at the heart of it. Just more broadly um, is that I think that for both of us, it, it is about finding the work and trying to shatter, minimize things that are not the work. Yeah. You know, more, more so than anything like, oh, our brains are broken or we're overly you know, humble or stuff like that. That that feels more true to me. Yeah. To, to me, there's definitely a little bit of both. Well, yeah. yeah. Like there, there's something that is uh, definitely wrong with my brain. Oh, I'm like, it, it, you know, <laughs> sure, you know it's, it's more than that. Like it, it's, <laughs> I wish it was just that, like, oh, it was just a, a positive thing, but it's not. Right, right. It, it's got a nasty, gross side no. uh, to it. I don't like. No. Um, uh, Simon says, uh, very specific question. Are you planning on ever doing an episode on Dishonored, Death of the Outsider uh, to wrap up Dishonored? coverage i realize it's not a long game but it's something i'd love to hear you guys chat about uh mainly to complete the series um also have you either of you played darkwood um i have played darkwood i like darkwood i've never beaten it mm -hmm. um and i don't imagine a version of the show where we don't do that death of the outsider and mm -hmm. even reminding me of that it's like oh we should do that in 2020 when we need a short game yep. uh in the schedule because it is it is like three mission dishonored uh and it is really good and it would be fun to wrap up the series agreed yeah, um, I played and streamed Darkwood uh, streaming. It was a bad idea because it is so difficult and because it is so repetitive. It is interesting. I just need to play it in a more um, in a less on the spot environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, do you want to do lightning round? 
Yeah, let's lightning round it up. Okay. Uh, so if you didn't, yeah, and before we get to this, just as a, a basic thing, you know, if we didn't get to your question, we will. Yeah. You know, yeah. as we now move into the final section of questions. Yes. Uh, so let me locate this here. Uh, Jake says, hey, guys, I absolutely love your discussion of both Hereditary and Midsummer this month. I watched them both the first time uh, and being able to immediately jump in and hear your thoughts was a lot of fun. Uh, have there been any other horror movies you watched this spooky season that you really liked or had a reaction to? Yeah, um, I watched The Witch for the first time. I love The Witch. I'm going to go see The Lighthouse uh, on Friday. Cool. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, as far as, uh, you know, kind of weird hidden things, um, I mentioned this. I really love The Ritual. Um, I think that game that, or that movie is kind of underrated. Like, it has a mixed reputation, and some people were pretty uh, lukewarm on it. But I think that movie is really good. Mm -hmm. um, really like that. And then I actually, at uh, Quarter World at the meetup for PRGE, uh, The Brain was showing. <laughs> the uh, Brain. 1988's The Brain? <laughs> well, I watched The Brain. Did I tell you that I watched The Brain? No, you didn't. Uh, on YouTube. I watched The Brain with, with voices and stuff, and it's great. <laughs> like, it's really funny. It's really funny and weird. Uh, it's it's genuinely like a really, really fun 80s monster movie. Nice. Um, yeah, so the, the the Brain, if you want something that's so bad, it's good. <laughs> and then uh, The Witch and The Ritual, for so good, it's good. Yeah. Uh, for me, I've not gotten to watch as many scary movies this month as I had intended to. Uh, this is not a new one for me, but uh, I just watched and rem reminded myself how good the original Wicker Man is. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wicker Man is delicious and good. Yes. Um, Andrew says, a quick one. Have you ever played a game so much that you dreamed about playing it or dreamed about being in the game? Uh, most of my dreams now uh, are game-like and have rules. I've been dreaming a lot because I've been taking stuff to sleep because I have not been able to sleep, and that is a side effect of that. Mm -hmm. uh, I told you, Cole, this story at PRGE, yeah. but, like, I had a really shitty boss fight in a dream <laughs> where, like, a Marguerite-esque figure, like a Resident Evil 7-esque figure, was uh, chasing you as, like, a pursuit-based section, and the way to beat Marguerite was to go into a closet where there was a low-hanging exposed light bulb. That she would hit her head on, which distracted her long enough for you to open a window and get the light in to kill her. No. Um, the, uh, and I was like, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, why is this light bulb stopping her? Like, yeah. you, know, it, it, you know, I was criticizing my dream game. <laughs> In in while playing it while fucking asleep. I have no I have I have no defensive vocabulary. Yeah, exactly. And, and in my dream, like it was really bad. Yeah, uh, it's a mess. So yeah, it's no good. Yeah. Um. You know, m minus any obvious like Tetris effect kind of answers uh, for me. Uh, EverQuest was a big one. Um. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, just uh, playing the game or in my in my head uh, or dreaming about just walking around in those towns or in those environments. You know, crawling through the sewers, et cetera, uh, complete with interface and things like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No. Uh, let's see here. Reed asks, what is your favorite Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game story, uh, either as a keeper or a player? Gary, this one's for you. Um, the only, the my favorite one I've read, uh, so I read, ran um, Horror on the Orient Express, um, that entire, like, epic campaign, um, and that was really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so to run, that was really good to, uh, to kind of read though. Um, and I've never, I haven't run it yet. Uh, Tatters of the King is really good. Um, oh, I've got all of the, the Haster related, uh, modules that I can find. Nice. Um, and those are really fun reads, uh, cause Fuck. he's got such an interesting, where, 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 where can you get those? Because I'm hungry for some Haster. Yeah. Get them. Uh, they're fun. Uh, like if you've ever, if you have the capacity to read a tabletop RPG adventure as I fiction, do. I do. Um, then you'll dig it. Um, you can buy them on the, the Cassium website. I think they have tatters of the King. I don't think they have, uh, on there. The, the second, uh, one, the other big 
one which is the name is escaping me mm-hmm. uh but tatters of the king is really good um yeah the cool the, it seems like it would be impossible to run because it, it requires a level of nuance that people are not trained to look for in games yeah like there are multiple like you know when you play a, a game like it's very easy for you to separate things into like good and bad like oh these are the bad guys but the cool thing about tatters of the king is that there are multiple like it's multiple cults of multiple gods and they're working at cross purposes mm-hmm to each other so like you know whoever wins we lose but also <laughs> you can play them against each other and it's confusing at first like who's for who yeah like there's a thing where like uh you know a black go to the woods cultist has a spy in the cult of Hastur, and i'm like well that's really neat yeah like yeah of course you'd be betting for your pokemon you know only <laughs> one of these great old ones can go and, and tromp across the earth like not all of them you know so like uh, this world ain't big enough for the one of us you know uh so the uh it's got a lot of really neat stuff like that that i would dread trying to get players to pick up on but yeah. it makes it a really fun read mm-hmm. so all right yeah no i am uh trying to decide if i want it physically or just in pdf so i've got the yeah. tab open good good yeah. Uh, Zach says uh, every once every so often you guys reference Mr. Show. Uh, those references make me laugh. Mr. Show is arguably one of the best sketch comedy shows ever. I was wondering uh, which Mr. Show sketches are your personal favorites. Uh, most applicable to daily daily life is pre tape Colin show. I think that that, oh. that is the most the most that we uh, that that we reference. Uh, something. I, I, Worthington's Law. I think it's a oh, lot of yeah from yeah. I, I forgot about Worthington's Law. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the uh, Worthington's yeah, no. Law is really useful. <laughs> Worthington's Law like has informed a, a like a like an outlook for me. Like, yeah. like generally, yeah. No, the like the, 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 Worthington's Law is just water. That's why I yeah. forget about it. <laughs> Yeah, it, um, it, it's basically for all of us. They should teach it in schools. I'm not yeah. like joking about that. Like, as as, as an anti pattern, of course, Worthington's Law is more money equals better than. <laughs> Yeah, and you're seeing unironic expressions of Worthington's Law on Twitter Mm -hmm. uh, dozens of times every day. And I'm like, man, why did you guys not watch Mr. Show? (laughs) Uh, See see how fucking dumb this is. Yeah. Um, Other other than that, as far as like, uh, you know, funny uh, Mm -hmm. ones that are are big hits, um, the two of them that I think about a lot are uh, the Super Pan. Mm-hmm. Um, I the love pan. the super pan. Don't touch the pan. pan. Yeah, pan touches you. Touch the pan. Um, I think about super pan a lot, and I love uh, the milk machine. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, is is a classic, uh, and also really catchy. Oh, yeah. Like I will walk around my house if I'm walking around my house, uh, getting in the shower. I'm nude. Uh, it is not infrequent. I'll be like, "Don't stick your dick in these holes. Don't stick your dick in these holes. These holes three are not for thee." Uh, <laughs> it's like a really funny thing to have to remind somebody yep. about joke the musical is very good yes yeah. um i i am also a fan of mustard anais um oh, and mayo stard yeah that's amazing um <laughs> just it just, just spread drudgery <laughs> yeah, just, just like like anything that they do um and, th- and this is carried over into tim and eric stuff but that it just uh, it, it, it is contemptuous of how contemptible or how, is contemptuous of marketing that is contemptuous of people yes um i think that, that that is very resonant and very funny to me especially given how i spent seven years of my life well the the uh it's really like Tim and Eric is kind of the follow-up to Mr. Show in terms of comedy based on that flavor of anger. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's more political angry uh, comedy out there. Yeah. But yeah. just kind of like, I can't believe we're supposed fo- you know, you can draw a direct line from, uh, you know, Pit Pat, the magical pansexual spokes thing <laughs> to, to Grum. Yep. You know, from Tim and Eric, like, and just like, this is not that different than shit people actually swallow and, and like put on shirts and stuff. Yeah. 
What the uh, fuck is Pitpat, Gary? A Pitpat. Um, Pitpat is uh, there's a, there's a, it's a Mr. Show sketch. Oh, okay. Sorry, uh, no. The Globo I, Cam, I, okay, I thought uh, I thought that it, I thought that it was an actual thing. Sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> no, it, it may as well be an okay. actual thing. Right. But you know, Pitpat is just kind of like this, you know, designed by committee, cute, cute thing. Mm. And then Grum, who is a more disgusting, unpleasant <laughs> version. Okay. Of that, and I'm like, okay, this is this is my these are my people. Yeah, I, uh, I forgot who, that he was in the show. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. And the one the, the so the, this this is a weird one because like the the sketch that has made me laugh the most, but it has worked less for me over time. But I still mm-hmm. cannot forget that initial impression. Uh. The story of Everest. Yeah. Story of Everest is really special. Yeah. That's really really good. Yeah. That that show is basically miraculous wall to wall. Yeah. Mom and pop porno shop. Yeah. Like there's, 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 <laughs> the there's highest so number twenty four. The drinker. Yeah. There, there's so much of that that is the highest number twenty four. I think about all the time. Yep. You know, and like those well, just, just like, when people know. argue on the internet. <laughs> exactly. Like twenty four is the highest number. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> like uh, it's so silly. Yeah. Um, I I love Mister Show so much. I did a re like a rewatch of this whole series um not too long ago because all mm-hmm. of the episodes are on YouTube. Oh wow. You can just watch Mr. Show whenever you want. Hmm. Um, yeah. It's also one of the things about Mr. Show, too, is that there's one uh, bad episode. Like, just one that it's like like rotten fruit from a shitty tree. Which which one and is like, that? You know, it's, it's even hard to remember. Oh. Like, it's, it's all pretty unmemorable. It's got a couple, like, really long slog sketches hmm. um, in it. But it's like, I remember just thinking, like, oh, this is the bad one. Yeah. Like, there's four seasons and there's one, like, really bad episode. Not bad. Uh, just thinking about coupon the movie like how many times a day i think of warm and mandatory (laughs) it's it's sentenced to see the movie like that again that it's so astute because it is you know in terms especially now with like the way movies are you know marketed like Mm -hmm. pretty timeless yeah uh mr show is extremely good yes um and then uh is this me or you this final we get this last lightning round Uh, yeah i'll I'll get this here ben uh asks what are some of your favorite examples of games that are not objectively good but you like anyway uh games that are real solid six or seven out of tens um it's not my favorite favorite is hard but just one that's uh, been in the zeitgeist recently because of stuff we've done Mm -hmm. um vampire is like a seven out of ten that i think is actually better than a seven out of ten no. You know, they, they get, nothing about that game is that special other than the things it tries to do and the tone and things. And those things are really fun. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I would give that probably objectively a seven out of ten, even though I like it more than that. Yeah. Um, so the, the seven to ten range is where the majority of survival horror lives. So I have a lot of likely suspects in here. Uh, but what I've been thinking about a lot recently is Rule of Rose, where mm-hmm. everything about it uh, from the story to the atmosphere uh, to the exploration is magical. And the only thing that holds it down is the combat. Yeah. Um, and even then it is minimized, but there are still points where you have to engage with it and you're going to die a bunch. So, uh, but yeah, I think that that is, uh, the, the, that is one that, uh, uh you know, I'd, I would recommend getting a, getting a modded PS2 and playing a backed up copy of it because, you know, it goes for $400, um, open now. So mm-hmm. do you think, do you think it comes across fine in a let's play? You think if it's like I don't feel like dealing with this nonsense, it would be fine just to, to watch it. Maybe I've got a let's play up. I did it several years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I meant it's, for like a consumer and not from. I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I, I know you have a let's play up, but like, do you think that like if you, if you play it, do you think you would get the cool things about it from watching it? I don't know. I I, I would have trouble feeling the dread in a let's play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know that I can that I could engage with the horror on a uh, from a let's play angle. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think that horror works super well in let's play, right. but it, it does work really well for seven out of ten games, mm-hmm. you know, which is kind of a sad 
bit of it since most horror, you know, a lot of horror games yeah. are in that zone. Um, moving on to our topic, which is when we threw ourselves, yeah. uh, basically, but that's fine. We get yeah. to do it. We, it's our <laughs> rules. Um, the Australian rules footy of podcast um, <laughs> is we wanted to talk uh, for Halloween about horror games and like what makes a good horror game? How can a game be scary? What are very scary games? When does this fail? Mm-hmm. Et cetera. Yes. Uh, top and near, near and dear to my heart. Um, and especially after this month of, you know, ostensibly horror games that, um, you know, at least in this playing didn't necessarily, you know, reach up and grab us, you know, physically, you know, <laughs> uh, did, did, well, not, not, not necessarily the scariest kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't even know if, uh, you know, in the first time I played any of the games we did this month. Yeah. You know, it was the first time I'd played uh, Shattered Memories and those Resident Evil 7 DLCs. But also, I don't, you know, so this didn't scare me. And I don't know that anything would, ha- I don't even know if Alan Wake was really scary so much when it, when I first played it. And that's, you know, different. I guess like defining those terms is important. I think right? about this a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, you know, like, you know, talking about the ways that certain things can be scary, it's just like, it's just like any other, like, you know, genre or like literary device, you know, how you, you know, the, the different words carry different connotations. Terror is different from dread is different from stress is different from panic. Um, horror can hit you in different parts of your body. Just mm-hmm. like, you know, comedy can be either cerebrally funny or it can, you know, be, you know, gut funny. Like bypass uh, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the thing that this month, nothing bypassed it. Yeah. Like everything this month that was uh, kind of scary, and there are other games we could bring up as examples and should and stuff, yeah. is uh, bypasses that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that a large number of them actually miss the cerebral part, too. Yeah. Um, to where there's not, a, you know, it – you. There is horror that you can feel like mm-hmm. it hits different parts of your body um, and there, there's kind of a magic to bypassing your thought process. Yeah, I think that the big issue with this month and in general, like when a horror game fails for me as a piece of horror media, uh, it is going too far onto one of those ends and then not actually landing it. Yeah. Like if you are trying purely to hit my my gut, trying purely for me to feel it. Um, you can do something like a Five Nights at Freddy's, which does hit my gut because mm-hmm. things jumping out of nowhere that I didn't expect, yes, shock me yeah. and make me feel a thing. But it that's all it's doing. Yeah. And then with things like Shattered Memories, uh, which is creepy-ish uh, and kind of spooky-ish, mm-hmm. um, but wanted to be cerebral uh, in a way that I think didn't really land quite for me. Like the uh, it was neat, but didn't actually activate anything horrific to me like the more i thought about it i wasn't like oh that's a really scary idea mm-hmm. like that is that is something i'm actually scared of uh it never actually hit that for me uh either so i think that like you can you can kind of over aim onto either of those poles pretty easily um outlast i think over aims into the five nights at freddy's poll I, I i i disagree um i have having played all of those games those are the only those are the only games in recent memory that have really had that have really affected me like scared mm-hmm. me in that way and when when I say that, I mean like in the past like five years, let's say. Scared you in in a physical way or in a mental way? Both. Okay, I don't. I uh, so I did not find them mentally scary at all. I thought they were silly, hmm. uh, and the monster, the story was silly hmm. uh, in those those games. Like, and the shocks, like the jump scare stuff, the physical part did hit with me. Hmm. Um, but the attempts at the former, 
like the cerebral part, I just didn't land. It, and I guess this is a good time to say in a general, like all conversations, right? Like this is all super objective or yeah, subjective, yeah, yeah. you know, so just, just throw, take any of the stuff with a grain of salt between mm-hmm. the two of us. And then also to you, like, if you're like, Oh no, I was scared about this. Are these guys calling me idiots? No. no yeah. No, just, it's, you know, it's experience. you know, the, 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 like this, this is just like talking about comedy. Why, why, why does exactly. something make, make, make me laugh and, you know, doesn't make you laugh and vice versa. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's going, it's going to be very personal. Um, I think outlast one in particular, uh, does have a lot of very silly, um, aspects to it. Uh, the whistleblower DLC in particular, uh, that is, you know, like, the, like that's documented. I streamed that and there is a scene that got me so worked up and so like just panicked that I, 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 I kind of threw up not like, <laughs> but like, just like gagged. And then like a little bit of stuff came up. Um, yeah. and then outlast two in particular as well, I think is a little bit more heady in terms of, um, you know, engaging with kind of just like the nature of religion, um, mm. in a, in, in an interesting way. Uh, yeah, like the, 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 those games are tip top for me in terms hmm. of like, you know, if like if you want to feel something when you're playing these like that, this this is going to be this is going to be the one um, kind of moving generally. So we're not like bashing Pokemons against each other because there's not there's, you know, it's, it's also interesting, too, because similar to comedy, like there's nothing really to say mm-hmm. after that point. Right. Like yeah. you get to that point where somebody talks about what's scary for them and what's not, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can't convince somebody to. You know, as much as there's that article, like you can't actually explain Tim and Eric to your parents and have them find it funny. No, you can no. explain why you think it's funny mm-hmm. and you can explain what they're doing. Like you can explain that this is not arbitrary trash. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is intentionality going into this. You can see the strings and the craft that went into this, but you can never change whether that works. Right. Right. For somebody really. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of like moving generally, like what are things, uh, you know, focusing on back half, like we'll start with the, you know, I guess the like amygdala, you know, stomach fear. Mm-hmm. body fear and stuff like what makes a good to you what makes a good horror game that does that like what what aspects of it what are some examples what are things that like actually um you know what are they doing what are the mechanics of fear yeah yeah so so it, it needs to be mechanical um specifically because we're talking about video games it cannot just be um it cannot just be visuals it cannot mm-hmm. just it cannot just be audio although you know horror games in general i think benefit more from you know fidelity and attention to the craft in audio and visual uh but mm-hmm. it has to be something that places you um, into a situation where even if you know you can reload, uh, even if you know that there are really no consequences, uh, it makes you dread going forward. I shouldn't have used the dread word because that's very specific. But like, I know that a game is working on me when I do not want to go through the next door. Uh, yeah. When I would rather leave the room that I associate with that game. Um, you yeah. Know, specifically, c- contrast Amnesia: The Dark Descent um with even earlier stuff like penumbra um or like you know machine for pigs or even soma to a certain extent yeah amnesia machine for pigs or amnesia the dark descent among that studio's output has has captured that feeling the most for me Uh, yeah i think that's their scariest game yeah like easy peasy Mm -hmm. their scariest game like the um but like in terms of like breaking down what it's doing Mm -hmm. Right. To, to get to that point. Like, I agree with you that uh, mechanical sense is really pretty important. Like, even if it's down to uh, I need something through that door, like it can't be this is the next track on the railroad. Yeah. And yeah. that's why I need to do it, because to me, that kind of uh, artificiality detracts like it's all artificial. But that kind of, well, I have to go through this door because it's the way forward. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, I can feel that kind of stomach horror a lot more if there's something I need. Mm hmm. 
through that door. Yeah. Um, you know, and that uh, oftentimes is a key or something like that. And yeah. I, I find that um, games that do operate on this feeling horror uh, very specifically um, are a lot of times uh, there is no element of surprise, like a jump scare will make me scared. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, and for some reason, you know, Doom Three, which is a horror game, mm-hmm. uh, is coming to mind. Of like the hey, there's a shotgun in the middle of the room. Something bad's going to happen when I pick it up. <laughs> right. That's a, I think that's actually really pretty effective, mm-hmm. even if I know it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because uh, the anticipation is a is a form of dread, right? Like you get your Hitchcock. Like it's not interesting to have a bomb go off during dinner. It's interesting to have two people talking and show the bomb. Yes. You know, and they don't know about it. If has that uh feeling to me mm-hmm. also not knowing how something is going to happen like you have a lot of uh freedom in terms of expressing uh something shocking like that happening if you make the player need something so they're kind of confused like mm-hmm. hey i want that gun yeah um you know i need that i want that um and i know something's going to happen because i'm playing doom 3 mm-hmm. um i have no idea how it's going to happen right i don't know which um, direction which direction it's going to come from Yep. Uh, I don't know which I, monster is going to be. I don't know uh, if it's going to be a feature of the room. Something is yep. going to get me because I am being baited out. Yes. Uh, that is a really good way to get body fear for yep. me or like elemental fear mm-hmm. for me personally. Yeah. You know, even looking back at kind of more classic examples, uh, things in the Silent Hill or Resident Evil uh, kind of mold where you have an established location, you have a map that you're trying to clear, you know, you're trying, you know, you're going from door to door and you are checking to see what's in every room, you know, the uncertainty that, okay, this room could be, you know, one of three things. It could be, um, you know, the one part of a puzzle that is the meta puzzle for this area where I'm going to get a code or I'm going to get um, a key item. Uh, I could have resources in it. Or it could be combat that I'm going to be trapped into, like that kind yeah. of slot machine aspect to it, where like I am, you know, you, you know, like, like the, 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 there are a few different ways that the word, that that this could break uh, that will, you know, really push me over the edge because a well-made survival horror game is going to keep you on that edge um, as best it can. Um, yeah. And then kind of like, you know, bracing yourself for which of these potential outcomes, outcomes it's going to be that dread and that, that, that anticipation more than anything uh, can sometimes get to me as well. Yeah. 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 I think, I think that's generally like also a good real way to do it because you have hope. Yeah. Like in both those situations, right? Like both so. those comparisons, yeah. like my hope is that I will succeed more. Like I'm getting a shotgun in a doom game and if that yeah. doesn't inspire hope in you, like, mm-hmm. You know, who what's are wrong you? With you? Yeah. yeah, what's wrong with you? Um, or like, hey, I need those resources. Or yeah. like, you know, in a Resident Evil or Silent Hill, like I'm this is the goal. Like I'm trying mm-hmm. to get to the new area. Like yeah. I might get the, the shield key. Like I need mm-hmm. that. Yeah. You, you know, know or, and, and like the, this carries over a little bit from like soul stuff, but it happens in uh, it happens in uh, horror games as well. Like, God, I hope there's a save room. Like I, it has yeah. been so long since I've had a save room. I am, I am yeah. extended very far out on a ledge here. That's a really big deal yeah. in terms of, of creating that body mm-hmm. uh, kind of fear. Yeah. Um, and it's what it's an interesting thing because I feel like, uh, you know, so I know those that you, it's not just those situations that create that, right? right, right. Like it's related to dread. Um, something that I think that games do when they want to create that, like dread is a body fear. Yes. Um, it's not often a cerebral fear. Yeah. Um, and when they want to create a, a, a body fear or a dread fear, uh, fear. I think a lot of times the uh, the best ones use a lot of tricks that the best movies do mm-hmm. uh, for this uh, in terms of like pacing. Yeah, yeah. you know, uh, emptiness is your friend mm-hmm. uh, in these kind of situations. Like in that uh, opening up doors example, 
in Resident Evil or Silent Hill, uh, maybe this door has like nothing. This room has like basically nothing in it, mm-hmm. or this hallway is longer than it needs to be. Yeah. Uh, to do this or the light is really really creepy in this hallway mm-hmm. uh through that or they do it by not firing uh the jump mm-hmm. you know so i have grabbed the item or the shield gear or something and nothing happened mm-hmm. but i know <laughs> something will yeah. because that's the rules of the game i'm playing yeah uh but it yeah. doesn't happen picture picture uh, yourself playing you're sitting on the floor in front of the television you may or may not be a little kid in the situation uh you're sitting there with your legs crossed and you start you know, sitting straight up as you're playing, the game's job is to make you lean forward without realizing it. And yeah. then to, um, to, to, to fire the trap when you were at the closest point, yeah. um, or to uh, make you think that it's going to fire the trap when you're at the co- closest point, um, withhold not. that and then hit you again. And then you never know right when it's going to go through. Like there is, a. You know, you can you can play it both ways, which is really cool. And I think mm-hmm. most really successful horror games do that. Yeah. They do the like, I knew something was going to happen, but it was still scary. Mm-hmm. Or I thought something was going to happen. And it didn't. And now I am uncertain for the rest of my life. Yes. Like it, it'd be like, hey, person listening to this, um, I put a, a Alaskan king crab somewhere in your house. <laughs> That's it. That's all I'm going to tell you. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's 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 yeah. like a, it's a, the, the Seinfeld episode. I took something from you. I took something from your uh, from your apartment and put it in the toilet. And that yeah. causes Jerry to go around and just like get rid of everything. Lose his mind. It, right. Yeah. yeah. Just just because because, yep, some, something here, something here is poison now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um. So like uh what else in terms of like body fear? Like what is a good uh, a way that a game can do this uh, well or poorly? Like what is a shitty what do you think is like a shitty way I mean, the some... game's trying to express this body fear other than like Five Nights, which we already mentioned. Right, which right. Is, you know, like I, I think I'm, you know, those games are a laughing stock. I think they are interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah. While also being nothing I'd ever want to play uh, and successful at doing one thing that is probably not worth doing. But, I mean, well, I yeah. mean, just and, and like taking that one thing and iterating on it in different ways throughout the series. It was interesting, you know, because I don't know if the piece is out yet, but spending the weekend around Will and he was talking about the series that he is or the, the piece that he is writing about the Five Nights it at Freddy's series. It is out. Yeah, just uh, yeah. Hear, hearing him describe stuff, um, kind of the different ways that that, that series went, it kind of makes me curious in a way mm-hmm. that makes me also, in, in a way where I also understand that it's not necessarily for me um something that i think is fraught that can either um really um make this work or can be um exploitative and bad or just kind of miss the mark is gore honestly Mm, yeah that 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 you know just the revulsion or disgust you know it would be the name for that um would be the name for that and you know like it just it's real there's a real fine line between like what is saw and what is you know Salad Saw Hill. <laughs> Saw, yeah. Saw Two is the better film. What is? What is? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I thought you were. I, I thought you were going to say something about about Saw Two, and I was going to come at you. Um, well, I, I mean, I don't think it's great or anything, but it is better. Yes. Like yeah. it's it's all right. Yeah. No, surprisingly, all right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just like like sh- showing you something that the the the, the, the body rejects. So showing yes. you showing you something that fires those mirror neurons about pain or showing you something that is evidence that something terrible has happened here before and has and, and will happen here again or mm-hmm. uh, working um, working that into the environment, specifically thinking about the Silent Hill other world where as you you know, as the series progresses, things start to get more and more organic uh, yeah. in terms of the walls gaining like a meat moss kind of texture. 
Um, yeah. I think it's really fraught because, you know, play, play, played one way or played too heavily. It is, it, it is bad and can take you out of it. Um, however, played, play, played well. I, I, I really, really appreciate gore. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's interesting too, because it, it, for some people, it is a pure driver, right? Like there's a magazine about it. Mm-hmm. And then you get people who are just like a thousand percent of these Rob Zombie movies that like, yeah. you know, are basically that. Yeah. You know, like, hey, this is really gory or this has really good gore mm-hmm. in it. And that's not something I really relate to. I think that that misses the mark more often than not for me. Yeah. But we both were like into uh, the extreme gore in Resident Evil 2. Yes. The remake, which very noteworthy falls off. Yes. That is the beginning of that game. The mm-hmm. first couple scenes you see it and then it basically stops mm-hmm. like doing that. Like once you get to the lab, like we're past gore. Yeah. You know, it, we're not going to deal with that. And that's very intentional. Like that's a tool. And I think mm-hmm. that that is best when used as a tool. Yeah. Uh, and in that game, that, that is used as a tool to kind of set a tone and consequence and unease mm-hmm. that they knew was powerful enough to coast on for a very long time. Yes. We're not going to give you a chance to desensitize yourself to this because we're going to show one person's face falling off, mm-hmm. not a thousand people's faces falling off. Yes. Um, and something that is unspoken or was unspoken in that summary, because it feels obvious to me is that gore um, is best used as a uh, vehicle for body horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To me anyway, you know, there's just, uh, something that uh, I think about a lot when I think about that. And this had a, a big revulsion uh, response for me, but I also couldn't like, it wasn't an appealing one mm-hmm. um, is the movie Nightbreed. Okay. Which is a, a Wes Craven movie, um, which I, I dig Wes Craven. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, I think I'm pretty sure it's Wes Craven. Um, and uh, in the movie, uh, there's these mutants. There's like freak monsters live in the sewer or whatever. And there are like people who know about them, like conspiracy theorist people. And they all have these like gross deformities. And someone's like, I'm just like you. I'm one of you. And he cuts and peels off his scalp while he's still alive. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, incredibly intense reaction for me. Yeah. Like I could not watch it. Yeah. You know, I just like could not watch it, but it wasn't like the movie. The rest of it was like about these kind of weird party freaks who live in the sewer and like their class struggles and stuff like mm-hmm. it didn't fit. Yeah, it was a really bad, like an effective tool that was used at a really bad time mm-hmm. in a weird way that like it. So I guess like, you know, playing into the Resident Evil 2 thing is that like timing of this stuff matters, like precision mm-hmm. uh, in terms of body horror and gore is yeah. like the most important thing, I think. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, Nightbreed was directed by Clive Barker, which Clive sounds, Barker. sounds like a fucking mess. <laughs> I get I get Wes Craven and Clive Barker mixed up. Uh, uh, authors should yeah. not direct. I'm sorry. It's it's the uh, well, I mean, you know, Clive, Clive Barker's done uh, a bunch of cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but like, yeah, it's not a, uh, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what? So let's talk about uh, cerebral horror yeah. for a little bit. Yeah. Um, so for me, um, you know, when, when we talk about how horror can hit us, uh, you know, in different, in different places, cerebral horror hits me a little bit less when it goes right for the, when it goes right for the head or goes right for the brain, then cosmic horror oftentimes falls down by trying to play too play too hard with scale. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I don't necessarily find the universe is infinite, um, to be an especially, effective um uh route of horror cerebral horror actually works better for me when it hits my skin when it when it introduces a concept or an idea that um you kind of like if it feels like it sticks to you uh it feels like you cannot quite shake it off or wash it off Uh, and for that it needs to be emotionally true 
Um, yeah. And it needs to be smart enough to articulate it in a way that reveals just enough and does not assume too much. Um, but, um, you know, c- c- it, it compels you to draw out the implications of it as it, uh, as, as it goes on, uh, for me, the best example of something like this, that we absolutely need to cover on the show, uh, because it is also one of the best depictions of depression in a game that I have seen, um, is, uh, the cat lady. Uh, mm. The cat lady is fucking S tier when it comes to cerebral and emotional horror that, uh, that, that, that hits and resonates in a very real way. Yeah, I'm, I'm down. I would be, you know, interested. Um, the, uh, I, I think I am with you in terms of like something, you know, hitting your, your skin or what have you. I think that like, for me, this is where, uh, so like if, if body whore or not, body, you know, whore you feel in your body, mm-hmm. uh, misses the mark for me, um, where it lands, it is a pure miss yeah. where this lands. It often lands somewhere I want to be anyway. Yeah. It's yeah. just not horror. Mm-hmm. So like, that's what happened all this month. Yes. You know, basically, um, and the, uh, you know, cosmic horror when it miss, it's not scary because it's about the universe. Like I still think can be neat. Oh, it can right? still absolutely be neat. Like they're fun ideas to kind of roll around. It's just and the, the, the thing that is presented as horrific to me is, you know, not necessarily it's not a good works. reveal. Like it's right. not a good, you know, final italicized line, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. by any means, but like the, uh, you know, something like, uh, you know, in, in terms of cosmic horror, like you look at something like, uh, in the mouth of madness, or in the mountains of madness, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the, uh, the elder things like, you know, created or, uh, humans on accident. Yes. You know, which is, a, it was a big cosmic horror idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, uh, I like that. I like that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, I think that's a really cool idea that informs a worldview that is interesting uh, for mm-hmm. me to dally around. Yeah. Um, you know, not scary. Nope. Uh, it's more engaging in a philosophical way, you know, where, mm-hmm. you know, it makes you think about if, if there is a higher power, it doesn't care about you. It leads more into like absurdity, uh, than anything else in the kind yeah. of classical sense, not in the haha money pot down sense of the word. Yeah. The, and, and for me, like when this works, like the, the thing, the two kind of watchwords uh, for me to make this work, um, is, uh, detail, mm-hmm. uh, for me is a cerebral horror. So a lot of this is going to be just thinking about an idea, yep. right? Because it's, it's cerebral. Like it's, it is thinking, this is the horror of thinking, Right. right. Like it is, is just making, um, so, uh, detail is really important, mm-hmm. uh, to this, like a small detail that is really well observed and really, really horrific and horrible and is more horrible. The more you think about it, mm-hmm. um, is, uh, really, really additive Yes, to something like this, uh, for me. Um, so this is stuff like, uh, and a lot of this stuff can come across as like Easter egg things, but they work for me in terms of adding to the horror. Mm-hmm. So in, uh, to use a recent example, something we both watch, like to t- talk about hereditary, mm-hmm. the, uh, when you start realizing how much the, the cult had their foot in this family, mm-hmm. um, from the beginning, those little details, uh, that is some of the most haunting stuff about that movie to me. Yeah. You know, like hearing the footsteps when they come home from the funeral, like mm-hmm. someone was there. That's that is not a, a body horror. That does not make me feel dread. Mm-hmm. You know, I barely noticed it. Yeah. But when the more I think about it, I'm like, man, that is fucking bleak. <laughs> uh, you know, that contributes to the philosophical core yeah. of this that is depressing that, mm-hmm. you know, these people have no control. They're fucked from the start. Um, <laughs> and it is just invasive. You know, it is a, a violation. Messing so with your say, sense of safety is a huge thing. Yes. On this, I think. Big, big, big thing. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I think is best for this and what it needs is tragedy. Yeah. Um, for me, like this works best for me when it is bleak or sad. Yeah. Um, you know, I think about uh, like Silent Hill 2 
which out of that series, like that is the only one of those games I've gone nuts for, yeah. right? Like I like three, I like Shattered Memories, I liked one. Mm-hmm. Um, two is the only one I think is a great game. Yes. The rest of them I think are good games. Mm-hmm. Um, Silent Hill 2 is a great game. Yeah. Uh, and I think that the reason why the psychological, I think the psychological horror of that lands better than any of the other ones, like by like a, a metric, you it's, know, metric there, there, there's a reason that they kept chasing that for a exactly. decade afterwards. Yeah. yeah. It is, it is reason why it's held up that way. And a lot of the, the impact of that is that it's fucking sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, pathologic is fucking sad. Mm-hmm. Like that is a sad game. Yeah. Um, the, the horror, uh, comes with you reckoning with a, a idea so bleak and, but as to also be a little bit relatable. Mm-hmm. Uh, to you that uh, that active, you know, and the more I think about it, the sadder it is. Yes. You know, and that is really effective in terms of psychological horror. Yes. To me, if you don't want, if you want to not immediately aim for my gut mm-hmm. uh, and aim for my brain, that is the way to do it. it, it, just, it, when, it good, sir. Or I was going to say, and when it misses, right? So like, this was my thing without last, I'm not calling you out for it. Mm-hmm. It's because the, the line between something that's sad and then also just kind of like so outsized as to be silly. Mm-hmm is really, really, uh, like thin, you yeah. know, someone who is just like, this is just comically bleak, mm-hmm. you know, like I went and watched the, the jokester, <laughs> uh, the amount in the first half of that movie that everyone is shitting on him is fucking hilarious. Like it is so <laughs> outsized and dumb. Everyone is just beating him up for no reason. Like, Hey idiot, you know, just like beating the crap out of him. And of course he turns into a joker, you know, like that's how you get jokers. You just beat people up all the time for no reason. <laughs> yep. Um, and the way that that articulated was just comical to me. Yeah. It was not sad, uh, even though they wanted it to be sad mm-hmm. for me. So that is a really tricky thing to do as well. It's a super fine uh, line. Yeah. You know, but when it hits, like, that is how you get to my, like, brain scared. Yeah. Um, and I think that both of us kind of said the same thing, which is there needs to be an emotional truth to it. Um, it, it, yes. it cannot just be. And, like, the, like the, there are, um, you know, certain certain kinds of, like, purely cerebral kind, kinds of horror that work for me. But they but they also play into the sense of a safe space kind of, you know, not safe space, uh, messing with my sense of sanctuary. You know, yes. a little bit uh, to to two things in particular that I would call some of the best um, scary moments in games, uh, I think, work on that level, um, uh, which are Silent Hill one, the elevator that uh, just has the, mm. the, the, the elevator in the hospital. The hospital has always had three floors and you go through and at one point you get in and there is a fourth floor button there and it does yeah. not go to anywhere on your map. I don't know where to yeah. file that except for, you know, under the, you know, this is aiming for my head and hitting me and my sense of safety. Uh, it is, it is playing with my assumptions about what, about how mutable space ought to be. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one in Silent Hill three, where you get the, you know, again, in the hospital, you get the call from Leonard saying, Hey, meet me in room, you know, three, three Oh eight or whatever. And throughout the entire dungeon, uh, that hallway is always ended at room three Oh six. And then boom, the hallway is longer uh, when it is time to go see him. When you are going off of the map, when you're having these assumptions about what the boundaries of space are, that is extremely effective for me. And that plays very well in a horror game. It plays well in games and things are, that are interactive, that are about exploration. Yeah, you can you can actually feel the space rather yeah. than just being told like, hey, actually the hallway's longer now. Boo! <laughs> uh, the, the, I'm Park Zilinswinski or whatever. Boo! <laughs> it's got a fourth floor. Boo! I just being mean. Um, but the the <laughs> it's funny because the the thing about that uh, again, just how objective all this stuff is, is I always think that stuff's neat. I've never been scared by an extra floor on a building. No, no. like that that activates nothing to me. Mm. Like I think it's cool. 
but I, I just like, man, you know, the, the only time that like the, my version of that, that hit that a little bit mm-hmm. are going down the stairs in Silent Hill 2. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and this just going down and down <laughs> and down because they pushed it so far, you know, as to be, but it, it's otherwise it is like tropes are a weird thing in horror because uh, if they're your tropes, mm-hmm. do them as much as you want. Yeah. Like, I will owe it like cults, 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 cults. Give me, give me the call free of my soul. I want to get lost in your rock and roll like, and drift away. But something like that extra space, the, the non-Euclidean space thing mm-hmm. is just as tropey and I appreciate it, but it's not my trope. Right. It doesn't just always activate my, you know, my arousal centers in a, in a non-horny way, mm-hmm. you know? So like figuring out what your, what your tropes are, because it is a genre, like mm-hmm. it's genre fiction. It's going to be tropey. Like every piece of horror that I like can basically be broken down into a lot of cliches, even if they subvert them. Yeah. You know, um, like hereditary, which I love is a really great articulation of a, like a possession story, basically, mm-hmm. you know, it is not, uh, or, you know, in midsummer is a folk horror story, mm-hmm. a cult folk horror story, like folk horror story. It's not that innovative right. as a thing. It's just, those are my tropes. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you, you can talk about you know, it. it, it it being innovative as an expression of those things, but it is still within the bounds of something still made that in the is, building blocks. Right. Right. You know, of, of that stuff. And every once in a while you get something that reaches outside of that, but it's extremely rare. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, and in, in games like that also applies, Yeah, you know, so like playing a thing, uh, a thing where it's like, Oh, the space keeps changing. Like that can be very cool to me. Mm-hmm. Like I like it when, uh, you know, I turn around, you know, when we did, uh, uh, I'm scared mm-hmm. and that did cool stuff with space. And yes. I thought that was like, really cool yeah um uh, you a, know a game a game that you enjoyed very much from this year dusk does that oh yeah yeah, yeah dusk does amazing stuff with that and it and it's great mm-hmm. you know but it's more cool than scary to me mm-hmm. uh and just kind of figuring those things out for yourself and then pursuing media that does those individual tropes well but yeah. whether they're games or movies is kind of the key uh to experiencing genre and liking <laughs> things <laughs> we, we've we've explained something uh very basic yeah. on, to a new frontier yeah it, at this point the it, concept of like well yeah and, and also it has to do with your personal experiences as well and your own particular for lack of a better word triggers you know for anxiety yeah. or fear for me you know i've talked about in the past how i get lost very easily you know whether mm-hmm. it's in games or in real life and being lost is a huge you know like that, that that is sometimes the most anxious that i get um, is when I feel I'm more from a path where, where, where I don't know what my orientation is in relation to, you know, what, what I thought it used to be. So like mm-hmm. that is playing into something very personal for me when a game intentionally unmoors me when it intentionally yeah. plays with space like that. Yeah. And, and all of this stuff, if you want to psychoanalyze us, I'm sure you could take all of those things that mm-hmm. we're saying that we really like and follow a trail of breadcrumbs back to some personality yeah. trait, right? Like I don't particularly mind getting lost that's not a thing for me but like i have a well-noted uh fear and distrust of communities mm-hmm. you know i don't like clubs <laughs> uh, i don't like people bound by common cause yeah uh, you know, so of course cults like freak me out right. uh you know or like i think one of the reasons why cosmicism stuff uh, resonates really strongly with me um is because i'm not optimistic yeah. in general like things that suggest a bleak future or that there's just you know like the 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 ending of the movie mist right like things mm-hmm. that do suggest like no this is actually fucking hopeless like resonate with me because that is a fear yeah. of mine so mm-hmm. like when games do things like that like this is actually just as absolutely fucking bleak as it can be mm-hmm. um that works for me because yeah. you know that's i that's how i feel about things a lot of the time mm-hmm. uh you know so yeah spooky yeah yeah 
Yep. I don't know. Um, I, 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 I think that we've hit all the angles and we've, we, we've hit a lot of the um, examples that I came into this with. I think that, yeah. you know, broadly the emotional truth is what's most important for me um, out of yeah. a lot of this. It's, it's, it's emotional. You want an emotional, uh, emotional truth when you are doing kind of a psychological horror kind of thing in games mm -hmm. uh, for sure. And then when it is, oh, you're going for a gut horror. Um, I think that is best when it's tied into mechanics. Yeah. Um, somebody wa watching a cutscene of somebody doing something that would provide a gut horror in mm -hmm. a game does not work. Right. Definitely for me. Yeah. I think that is, uh, needs to be tied into my scarcity uh, as, you know, as an avatar. Yeah. Um, you know, compare and contrast you know again just the opening of silent hill because we only talk about four games on this network um you know harry walking down the alleyway and finding the crucified body um yeah. much more effective because you are doing it yourself as compared yes. to as compared to like just if that was just part of the opening and the play started in the diner when you woke up yeah yeah absolutely and same thing that goes for all this stuff yeah like if uh if when you walk into a room in doom 3 and then we saw a cutscene of the marine pick up the shotgun look over his shoulder and see a monster crawling out of event and then control resumed mm -hmm. it would fuck the whole thing yeah and it's a big reason why alan wake sucks so bad as a horror game because the camera switches to a cinematic angle to show you things popping out every <laughs> single time right. you are not in control mm -hmm. when scary things happen in alan wake because it is an abject failure as a horror game yeah like it is not scary Mm -hmm. um there's a some low level concepts that are a little bit scary in it yeah but it is uh i i think that like ultimately on revisit like i think that you know aimed for the first half totally failed you know i had a couple of things aiming at the second half totally failed uh you know when second half i mean body horror yeah i don't know where where in my mind i divide these into halves <laughs> uh, and then uh aimed really hard for the first half and landed among some neat ideas that don't add up to anything mm -hmm. you know uh in a way that is vastly disappointing yeah really easy to fail at horror games mm-hmm like it is a, is a genre that like we both really like, but like, boy, is it fraud? Yeah, bad batting average is not great, and yeah. that, that that that's why I love you know that's why I love playing them. That's why I love occasionally writing about them. Why I love streaming them, you know, is 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 because you know oftentimes there the you know there are extremely good ideas that are mixed in with not great stuff. Yeah, really poor execution. It's yeah. like the genre for poor execution. Yes, you know, um, yeah, and they're a huge niche. Well, of course, you know, as a thing, like they're not, uh, you know, it's not a, a blockbuster genre, mm -hmm. you know, so we're not, we're not seeing a whole lot of that. Nope. So, um, hopefully next year we'll do some scary things. <laughs> you know, I, I need an emergency scare package uh, <laughs> and it can be either form of horror. Right. You know, I just want it to be something that actually makes me feel something, uh, and not, you know, some things that are interesting and good to talk about. Yeah. I may lobby for cat lady early in the year. I'm, I'm down. Like no. I'm, I'm down for some cat lady. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so moving on to, uh, so again, thank you to everybody for your questions. Mm -hmm. Uh, the way that you ask questions is to be a patron. If you go to patreon.com slash duck TV, no. uh, you can submit a question. We put out the call every month. Yes. Um, the way, uh, if we didn't get to your questions, we will, mm -hmm. um, yeah. if we have, to, we have done uh, makeup episodes before, if we have to do that, we might need to do a topics episode pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah. At least before the end of the year. Yeah, so we'll do another uh, just Patreon bonus episode that's just topics. Yes. Uh, just talking about that. Mm -hmm. um, moving on to your responses to October's uh, non-scary games month. <laughs> <laughs> like... Yeah, uh, so I'll get us started here. Riley says via contact, I really enjoyed Call of Cthulhu. Exploring the island, slowly gathering and comp compiling evidence, coming up with hypotheses, having some assumptions proven wrong and reaching conclusions in my head all felt great. 
Uh, these responses are about Call of Cthulhu 2018, by the way. Um, but as much as I love the endings, I couldn't help but be disappointed that there was never any point in the game where my gathering of evidence really mattered. There was no chapter where I had to compile all of the evidence that I had, conclude uh, that the cult is uh, hanging out in the whaler whalery and head there. Um, I wouldn't even um, want it to be that game critical. If you fail, you could have a vision of a supporting character meeting a grisly fate that solves it and allows you to progress. But in a game about being a PI, solving a Lovecraftian mystery, it's a shame that you don't do that much in the way of practice. Uh, they don't do much of that in practice, rather. Um, also, I love the cult tying the star spawn in with the biblical, biblical Leviathan. Uh, they even have Bibles uh, with that section in their cave. Uh, given their understanding, of course, that's what they would conclude that this whale-eating monster is. Uh, and while our more scientific approach, that this is a star spawn of Cthulhu, may be more accurate, neither really gives us a true understanding of quite what it is or why it does things. People tying mythos creatures into existing myths or how orthodox religion and science both try but ultimately are unable to come to accurate conclusions on these eldritch mysteries are elements that i love and love crafty in fiction yeah good uh, good observation yeah that, that is a big part of uh not just uh what happens in lovecraftian fiction but also what lovecraft did with uh with his fiction yeah. you know so when he would list his like eldritch tomes and stuff he would put real books in there yes you know or he would uh say like you know, the, the beginning of Call of Cthulhu starts with this earthquake or this like flood or earthquake. I can't remember mm -hmm. that is real yeah. that everyone reported having dreams about. Like mm -hmm. that actually happened. Like if you were reading that story at the time, that was in the newspapers and he's saying, but also this stuff happened. Yeah. Um, that's an effective thing that, you know, people talk, people talk derisively about the footnotes and house of leaves. However, there are, you know, the equal parts, real citations and fake ones that, mm -hmm. you know, lead more into the, um, kind of implausibility or, potential plausibility of what's going on yeah. and, and in terms of the first half of this like it's you know i agree like it would that that game is cool like mm -hmm. one of the you know come me coming to peace with this game like with this replay is learning it's not that game mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a walking sim that tells you a story uh that has some of the cadence of a detective game yeah but you don't actually spend very much time doing it yeah yeah yep i would have preferred i would have preferred that game but meeting this game on its terms you know, yeah, it's probably which important. is hard to do sometimes, yeah. you know, because yeah. I expected it to be a lot more investigative, especially since it's the official role playing game yeah. tied into. And that is the primary verb of the role playing game. It's really weird that Life is Strange has that beat that Riley wants, but this game doesn't. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that is really strange. That is it's even strange that that's it. You know, where that falls in life is strange, too. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's uh, I like that part a lot, but it is explicitly gamey in a way that like not very much is done, yeah. you know, two chapters after like walking around collecting beer bottles, <laughs> you know, which is explicitly gamey and in the worst way. Right. Um, Paul says via contact continuing about Call of Cthulhu. As luck would have it, I picked up a copy of this game a few weeks before he covered it on WAF. And while I enjoyed its clearly low budget jankiness, it fell prey to the same problem I have with many Lovecraft inspired games. It gets into the cosmic horror stuff way too fast what i really enjoy about lovecraft is the slow creeping dread and the gradual buildup of the protagonists losing their mind as they become exposed to horror after horror after horror uh in short i felt the game blasted its load too quickly <laughs> blasted. Uh, blasted yep it, uh, yeah. uh, a few more chapters like the one where you first arrive in Darkwater island would have been wonderful having said that all the stuff with the dimensional shambler was really well done and i'm an abject coward so it made me crap my pants on more than one occasion uh so the game deserves credit for that uh, looking forward to eventually covering Vampire, which is another game that is definitely worth around 15 pounds secondhand. At least. Um, I think Vampire is a better game yeah. uh, than, than Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. 16 pounds or quids <laughs> or whatever. Um, 
Yeah, I, I agree that it, I could have used more build up. Yeah. You know, as well. I mean, the house is also build up like dark water. And then when you get to the house, that's also build up like mm -hmm. it goes for a little while. But then as soon as you get to the house, you're in the caves. Yes. After that. So it, it, it goes pretty quick. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm trying to like in my head contrast that with dark corners of the earth. I feel in my like I think that that is a slow burn. Uh, at least in, it's, a, in, it's way slower. Yeah. Than this. Like you, it's the issue with that is that like this is a more gradual game in general mm -hmm. um, and covers less ground. Yeah. Uh, than that um dark corners uh you spend a lot more time at kind of an even level of dread mm -hmm. um you know quite a bit but then once it turns into the shooter game it's that yeah from throughout like it's not like there's nothing scary that happens after that but mm -hmm. it is you know it is a real a side b side game yeah no um let's see here eli says via lexington uh, Call of Cthulhu is a game that I'm very comfortable calling my trash and my trash is in quotes. I'm not sure there's a moment the game, uh, could be called beautiful. Uh, and the voice acting while good has that uncanny hitman quality where none of the characters sound like they're actually in their current situation or setting. Sometimes characters uh, will have dialogue that makes it seem like they didn't hear the last thing you said. The reconstruction mechanic doesn't make any sense, especially once other characters start using it. And the game's shooting segment plays like that scene from the Doom movie looks uh, only less badass. Uh, any section with gameplay that can give you a fail state feels stilted and poorly thought out, but I loved it. I loved putting myself in the shoes of a hard nosed, hard drinking private eye on the, on a hunt for the truth. I loved exploring a strange Island and interrogating its weirdos. I loved the game asking questions like, do you read the book of forbidden knowledge? Knowing that the answer should always be no. And always knowing that I would say yes. I thoroughly enjoyed this game's take on sanity. Instead of a bar that goes down in certain situations, going back up once you find a consumable or get away from the scary monster, opening that volume of the Malleus Monstrorum uh, has long-lasting consequences. As Pierce gets closer and closer to knowing the truth, the damage done to his perception of reality cannot be undone. I rarely have any desire to replay games with an emphasis on narrative based choice, but I look forward to coming back uh, to this rough gem uh, to see what might happen if I don't stick my nose in every book about night gaunts and shoggoths, or what happens if I don't willingly decide to help summon Cthulhu. Yeah. Uh you get a different ending. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it, it, you know, that, it's actually a big bummer, uh, yeah. the game, but it does, you know, you can kind of pretend on your way there. Mm-hmm. It's going to make a difference. And it is, you know, obviously, you know, my trash again, kind of dovetailing the conversation we had, like, these are my tropes. Mm -hmm. Like, do I read this book of forbidden knowledge? Book of for forbidden knowledge is one of my tropes. Yeah. You know, like, I just think that's cool and scary mm -hmm. as an idea, uh, even though, like, I think I mentioned this on a show, like, I've been rereading Lovecraft and like, it's crazy how many people have read the Necronomicon and no <laughs> one goes crazy from reading it. Uh-huh. Like, it's it doesn't make you crazy. Nope. It does, you know, that, uh, that is a weird thing. I think that, like kind of became conflated with the king in yellow as like a lovecraftian tome yeah yeah it's probably where the tabletop game got that and then popularized that as part of the trope because mm -hmm. it was never part of the fiction right like it's really really strange and i haven't seen that observed but like everyone has read it before they go and do their things mm -hmm. you know so um but yeah i i'm largely agree yeah um moving on to uh responses about silent hills shattered memories this is adon says adam sorry uh, Adam says, oh, I, was, I was getting torment. I had torment on switch. So I thought maybe uh, he had told me his name was Adon enough times that uh, summoned him into being. Um, Viva Contact. 
Uh, I loved Shattered Memories when it came out and replayed it several times in the space of a month or so. I really enjoyed trying to play the systems to see how many of the small changes the game would make. The game being so short and digestible made me want to revisit it again and again. One of my replays, I invited one of my roommates to sit and play with me. He was a troubled dude with a good heart and big, big daddy issues. Uh, his father passed away during his formative years, leaving a long shadow. He very clearly had never been able to truly get over his loss. I felt for him, and as we played the entire game in a single sitting, I hoped that it would show him how his inability to let go was poisoning him. The game didn't touch him, and he never changed. Not surprising, but I still do hold out hope that stories can touch us and change us for the better. I like to think uh, that it helped me develop my own empathy and empathize with him a little bit more. Yeah, I can't imagine a game will live up to the actual trauma. No, I, yeah, I don't know that, you know, you, you run into some like, I'm not saying Adam is doing this, but you run into like giving the Pope an Undertale yeah, kind of situation yeah. when I think that you can like games can be very important, mm -hmm. you know, but there is this weird, I think that it is an, an exaggerated importance. Yeah. You know, the, the games for change category of the game awards. And I'm like, mm -hmm. ah, you know, for change, yeah. I, you know, I don't know that that's a big thing yeah. to ask. And on a personal level like that, like. You know, I, I find that when media really affects me and changes my worldview or it really helps me, mm -hmm. I never expect it. There's right. no intentionality on my end and there could not be any intentionality on anyone else's end. It's it's more that it's what I happened to run into that when I was ready. Yeah. You know, to make that change just through the the cosmic locus of control, like the the weather that is emotions that I have absolutely no dominion over. Mm -hmm. uh, we're just ready to break. Yeah. You know, storm will storm will be done when it's done. Yep. You know. Yeah. Uh, James says via contact, when I played Shatter Memories back in college, I received the pervert ending and analysis, and I didn't think much of it. Just a video game, right? Well, nine years later, I started seeing a therapist about my sex addiction. I've been going to therapy for four months now, and while I haven't done any puzzles in our sessions, I think it has helped a lot. Uh, this could just be a coincidence, but maybe Butterfield is more afraid of, uh, more afraid of conflict than he realizes. Um, I rewatched Shattered Memories on YouTube uh, for the show, uh, and the scenes where Harry with Harry and Dahlia reminded me of a pseudo, of the pseudo relationships my teammates and I had with barflies and escorts during a two year period of living in, ho in hotels while working abroad. Uh, like the way Dahlia was annoyed at Harry for not recognizing her, um, reminded me of a time a woman claimed to have dated me uh, for a week, five months from then, and I had no recollection of her at all. Uh, she then described a plausible sounding but non-specific week of us meeting at the at, at the hotel bar. To this day, I wonder if I was in such a fugue state that I couldn't recall so much of my life, or that uh, I was so interchangeable that I was mistaken for another person. Luckily, I changed jobs about a year ago, and I'm no longer part of the work hard, play hard culture. This episode accidentally took me back to an uncomfortable period of my life, and I wonder if one of the de developers for this game had a similar period of inebriation based relationships or knew someone who did that's really interesting yeah you know but yeah maybe they did hmm. you know because that is a very specific thing like because i am the lamoid milk toast that i am like when that kind of thing happens it does feel like it's in you know it, it's engaging in tropes like that kind of thing like oh it's you know the bill brasky bar guys <laughs> you know going down to the bar and like you know hitting on people and then every once in a while it'll be so like no that's a real thing like it yeah. happens yeah. You know, jeremy will talk about entertaining clients or whatever sometimes mm -hmm. And it just being like, you know, sometimes it's like that. Yeah. Uh, and to me, it's just like, oh, that's just so far from my experience, mm -hmm. you know. But, yeah, people people really do do have it. Yeah. So and congratulations on getting uh, therapy. Yeah. You know, sincerely, I know that sounds like a, a flip thing, but no. No, it's a huge step. And also thank good you. Thank you for feeling, feeling comfortable sharing this detail. Yeah. Good on you.
Yeah. Yeah. And I will beat the shit out of anyone who says I'm afraid of confrontation. <laughs> I, will, I will go and I'll yell in their face. I will tell them what I think about them. We will, we will break up. I will scream uh, so loud it makes the news. Yeah, it, it will make the heavens cry. <laughs> so, uh, moving on to our responses about the Resident Evil 7 DLC. Thomas says uh, via contact, the first part will be a bit long, but I wanted to thank the entire DuckFeed team. 13 months ago, my mom almost died due to a medical mix-up, and I spent the last year driving over the state of Texas to help my dad keep an eye on her. Uh, mm-hmm. She finally, uh, She's finally about to get off of assisted living, but in that time, I've, I've downloaded and listened to a large amount of Watch Out for Fireballs. Then in March, I became a patron and was subjected to the fire hose. <laughs> uh, since then, I've bought every bundle and listened to everything, not just Watch Out for Fireballs, but almost all of the backlog of all the shows. Even somehow, Monster My Podcast and even guppy uh, i am that weirdo thanks for keeping me entertained during all this uh thanks thomas we don't yeah. often read uh, that kind of feedback but uh thanks for sharing yeah, again and i'm you know I'm glad things that you know your mother's getting out of assisted living and everything yes. yeah that's good happy to help uh thomas continues oh and yeah guppy mm-hmm. good on you i love you weirdos <laughs> Um, Thomas continues. Uh, anyway, after listening to the RE7 DLC episode, I finally bit the bullet and bought the whole thing to play. Uh, I had been hoping for PS or PC VR, but it's October, uh, and I thought, what the hell? I fired it up on my TV while my girlfriend was reading, and eventually she started getting into it once Mia showed up. Uh, when I took her down and Jack showed up, she jumped and said, I'm out. <laughs> uh, little did I know she was still keeping an eye on it from the other room. And when Jack pulled out the knife to force uh, feed Ethan, I heard a scream and then a door shut. Uh, final, thanks for finally forcing me to play this game and terrifying her. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's very, very good. I like that. Super cute. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to eat his supper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got to learn about supper someday. <laughs> um and then what if you what if like whenever you were hungry you go to a restaurant and it was like 22 percent off but they force fed it to you <laughs> like you'd have whatever you want but it had to be jack coming out and like knifing into your mouth do, do, do you have to do you have to sit in a high chair uh uh yes but an adult one proportioned for an well, adult. of course i'm not talking about like you know some kind of i'm not talking about a comical situation no no, no. this is very dead serious no. so you can order whatever you want you go into the restaurant you order uh, then they put you, they strap you into an adult high chair mm-hmm. and your bill is 22% off. But Jack comes out and is like, Tom, eat your supper. Mm-hmm. You're wasted away. And then just like takes a knife and just starts jamming your burger and fries or whatever into your mouth. No, no, no amount of money no. is worth that, Gary. No amount. <laughs> what if you, what if you uh, were refunded? Like you got the cost of a burger for eating a burger. No, it's, it's still, it would still Plus be 22%. like, yeah, it was, it would still like, like you know, the, the, the fanciest burger I can, I can conceive of like, I don't know, like the $20 the is still, what, what's that? The Ogliark burger. The Oligarch burger. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the gold leaf Ogliark <laughs> burger. Right. Yeah. No, it's, um, uh, no, uh, I, 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 I would not, I, I, you know, not, not worth it to me to be trapped that, that, that would actually like legit yeah. put me into a panic attack to be strapped yeah. into a chair. <laughs> I think, I think that hopefully I will die without ever being force fed something yeah yeah i would like to you know i i keep you know i talk i know i talk about this a lot and it's a big wish but i'd like to die without ever being hogtied um i'd really i'd really like to die without <laughs> don't, being don't speak that well. into the world you're gonna make it happen <laughs> it's kind of like if you said oh i'm real afraid of uh I, i'm real afraid of red doors all of a sudden like you know your twitter is going to be filled with pictures of red doors you it, you have just insured board, okay it's just a picture of me not hogtied okay <laughs> it's the secret. Just the various poses not hogtied yeah, just 
there's no hog like, maybe, maybe like look like looking at somebody uh who's hogtied and like just like yeah. you're, you're 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 smiling and laughing and there's a there's a little speech bubble that says that happy that's not me yeah exactly you know that's that's my vision board it's the secret <laughs> try not to get hogtied i'm gonna add force feeding to it <laughs> like just me eating a sandwich normally yeah you know a person trying to force feed you but failing yeah. yeah, they keep falling on a, on on their face. Yeah, you know maybe their shoelaces are tied together by a f- helpful friend. Yeah, or by a goose. Yeah, yeah, by a helpful goose pocket uh, mm. protecting me. Mm-hmm. The pocket protector is logged on. <laughs> um, I, I I have no idea where it, we go from uh, there. Eli, 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 Eli says uh, via Kentucky. Uh, down down by where I used to live. Uh, Resident Evil 7's Bedroom DLC may be my favorite piece of horror gaming. As an amateur horror enthusiast, the most common tricks of the genre work wonders on me. And while some of my favorite games ever fall into the genre, I'm not sure I can say I enjoy the feeling of terror when a monster starts chasing me, or the sudden increase in my heart rate that comes with a jump scare. In general, I find enjoyment in escape room scenarios and video games, so this was the first DLC that I started after finishing RE7's main game. Uh, I was extremely confused after I had to force open a drawer, which turned out to be empty. However, once Marguerite began her return, I'd hastily put all the room's items back into their proper place. But the grin on my face as she searched the room and went <laughs> the, the grin on my face as she searched the room went from ear to ear until until she and I realized at the exact same second, the broken drawer. Needless to say, my stomach dropped. Bedroom indulges in a type of fear uh, I feel like few of any video games do. The fear of your parents, and specifically trying to pull the wool over their eyes. I've never found a sludge monster in my basement, uh, and I've never accidentally been involved in a ritual that would summon a horrifying creature from another dimension. Um, I have, I have, however, lied to my mom and experienced the anxiety that comes from that. Turns out that uh, the anxiety goes up even further when my mom is now none other than Marguerite Baker. Yeah, that's a good uh, the, 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 that is a good comparison. I did not make that, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the terror of deceiving, de- deceiving somebody in authority, a uh, parental mm-hmm. figure and uh, not knowing whether you're going to get caught. And my experience is they always knew. <laughs> yeah. yeah, kids are really bad liars. Yes. You, know, you get a kid that's a good liar, like get rid of it. Yeah, no. So send, yeah, send, them, send, send the sums to some kind of camp. You know, yep. to, to, truth to, camp. Yep. Truth camp. Hashtag truth camp. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. That, that, that is, uh, I think is also by far the strongest uh, of those DLCs. hundred uh, percent. And I, and I would play again, I would play a, a game that is like, here's nine of these. Yes. That'd be so good. Yeah. When you uh, think about it, mom is the ultimate cop. Mom is a cop. Parents are cops. <laughs> the, um, the, the idea of like that being, uh, cause I also like escape rooms mm-hmm. and search for them in video game form. And so many of them are shit. Uh, it is this weird uh, shovelware genre on iOS. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and so few of them actually use 3D space in a way that like escape rooms do. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of them um, have got similar to a 999 approach where there's one kind of puzzle in the room. Mm-hmm. It's not an intricate series of puzzles that lead to one another mm-hmm. where like, you know, if, if you play a video game escape room, like you do the one puzzle and it takes you into the next room for the one puzzle mm-hmm. and they never relate to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a real bummer. Yeah. Um, so if, you know, I, I, uh, I would be interested in more stuff like this that actually is a more literal translation of an escape room, mm-hmm. uh, than this. Yeah. And they did so, it at the right time too. Like the, it feels like when bedroom came out, escape rooms were kind of at their, yeah, it was the big, yeah. Um, but when when, of, when they first the made their room. big break kind of deal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a bummer that like, when, if you like that kind of stuff, you can play like the room 
on mm-hmm. iOS, which is cool, yeah. but is much it's very different. Um, or like something, you know, again, really cool, like, you know, uh, Hidden My Game by Mom, mm-hmm. which is wonderful, uh, but is not doesn't have the rhythms of an escape room. Right, right. You know, um, moving on to responses about Alan Wake, a uh, friend of the show, uh, Alessio says. Uh, good morning, afternoon, and evening to fellow finders of the weird and paranormal. Uh, I'm eager to hear your coverage of Alan Wake and wanted to write in with an inquiry. If you don't end up covering this ground on the episode proper, what are your thoughts on Remedy's trademark overwritten pulp approach to its games? I find it endearing, but I've also grown up uh, with the studio since playing the original Max Payne 15 or 16 years ago. Or when I was 15 or 16 years old. Uh, as somebody who is trying to write more and more, I'd love to hear both your takes on the style. Uh, if you do end up discussing that aspect of Remedy's work, here's an alternate question for you. Given Remedy's track weather record for smashing genres, influences, and archetypes together, do you find their specific level of aping is a proper shtick? Or is Sam Lake's mashup writing a symptom of a lack of maturity in the craft? Can a Frankenstein's monster of taste-defining association uh, points act as substance, or will it always ring as a shallow reference, uh, as a shallow reference reverence? Uh, Thank you both very much. P.S. And I'm sure I'm not the only one to mention this. Play Control. It is wonderful. Uh, First game I've given, I have 100%ed in a long time. Um, I'm... I would like to play control, but I am going to put out a blanket warning to the universe that it's teetering <laughs> on the near automata. Yep. Every time you tell me to play this, I'm going to wait another year yep. because I need you to leave me alone about it. Yeah. Uh, Cause I don't have time. Uh, I know about it. Uh-huh. I know about yeah. games. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> I know. Um, I will, you know, don't make this like work. Like don't, don't turn this into something that like I have to do for you. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, so, unless you want to patronize it and then totally turn it into something I have to do for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah, don't do that. Do that through the proper channel. Yeah, there, 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 there is an avenue. Uh, but we are not criticizing you, Alessio, for making for no, making no, no. her for her felt recommendation. Um, yeah, uh, but uh, so in answering the first part, you know, having not played Control or um, Quantum Break, uh, <laughs> I, I feel like I can only respond to Max Payne and Alan Wake, and mm-hmm. you know the overwritten pulp approach to it. I think it, you know, we, we talk about, uh, talk about this in the episode, but it just depends on how present it is. It depends on Mm -hmm. how, how much it hits you with it. It works for me in Max Payne in a way that it does not work in Alan Wake because you, you are never, you are never removed from Alan Wake's voice. Yeah. And it's a more annoying voice. Part of it is just, it's worse. Mm -hmm. Um, Part of it also is, I think that like Pulp Detective is more of a, is like, is a wider genre. Yeah. And one that I think is more fun than like tortured writer mm-hmm. dealing with what fiction can mean. Right, right. Which is just an annoying trope in general to me. And mm-hmm. then also just being in that particular character's head yeah. the whole time was really unpleasant. Yeah. Um, so generally agree. Uh, and, and I think it works better in Max Payne. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in terms of like whether you can make really, really good work that is genre mashup stuff like that, I think absolutely you can. Yeah. yeah. I think Max Payne is great. Like I love Max Payne. I think that's actually really clever um, and like a really great work of that. Um, you know, whether it is, uh, you know, true, it can act as substance, you know, getting into a like art versus entertainment mm-hmm. debate on it is not something that like I, you know, not don't feel like going into, yeah. you know, but I do think you can do good stuff. I forget if you said this. Synthesis. I forget if you said this on the show or if this was somebody else, but in talking about um film and talking about movies you know the the idea that something needs to be challenging to be worthwhile is mm-hmm. is a real blind alley when it comes to uh when it when it comes to like any kind of media or fiction etc like it doesn't have to be you know 
new in order to be worthwhile. Like it can, yeah. it can just be fun. Uh, it just has to be, you know, honest and realistic about where it's aiming for, you know, and it yes. has to, and it has to hit what it's aiming for. You know, it can't, it can't point at the fences and then bunt accidentally or whatever, you know? Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I think, I think I talked about that in terms of, um, ambiguous endings. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit, you know, and yeah, that, that sounds like something I would say, I don't remember specifically saying that, but I went yeah. on a similar thing about, you know, this has to be a puzzle box at the end where you don't know what it is for it to be good. And mm -hmm. I think that's some real, some real 201 level media analysis, yeah. you know, like you, you, that, that's some, that's some teenage atheist. Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. It just, it disqualifies a bunch of stuff. And that to me is not like a satisfying approach to being, no. being a consumer of fiction. Well, the, the, uh, I mean, Will said this uh, again, just talking about Will, he talked about uh, something with, uh, you know, um, something he had talked about some piece of media where it's like people will, uh, accept, um, snark or hatred of something, but dismissal. Mm -hmm. is is really hard to swallow yeah. and i think that's really true but also like dismissal is probably the least interesting thing you can do to yeah. a to a piece of work like i think that is you know an approach that is like and i, I say that and i i engage in it there are things i just dismiss right yeah, like yeah. i'm just not gonna play those rabid games like those aren't mm -hmm. worth my time yeah. um you know uh but dismissal is not criticism right dismissal is not commentary dismissal is not interesting it's not worth reading yeah you know when when um so for uh, days of future cast we're covering the most recent x-men movie recently mm -hmm. or soon um and i was reading reviews of it and it's not a great movie mm -hmm. there are things that are bad to say about it but so many reviews wasted so many words just dismissing it yeah and I'm like, man, stop wasting my fucking time with that. <laughs> like, this is not interesting to read and you're not saying anything. Yeah. It, you can, know? it, can, it kind of seems like you're saying some, you're, you're telling on yourself a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you're, you're trying to make a broad point about what art is worth considering rather than just doing your job, which is to consider the art in front of you. Yeah. For me to read. Yeah. You know, and that's something that, you know, one of the things I like about our show, like something, you know, not to pat ourselves too hard on the back, but one of the reasons why I think that working on the show, you know, what we do is good is that like, we don't do that. Mm -hmm. We don't like everything, Yeah, you know, but I, I, you know, I don't dismiss stuff. Yeah. You know, it's I've, not like, I've, oh, I've this got is some bomb fireside chat reviews that would disagree. <laughs> I mean, but I'm, but I'm not like, I'm not right. dismissing it. I know, you I know, know. It, just... like it's, you know, they, they say that like, you know, you can tell me, uh, that I'm wrong, mm -hmm. you know, about dark souls three or Sekiro or whatever mm -hmm. and disagree with me, but I'm not dismissing it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm taking it on, on its terms and I'm trying to engage with it. I'm saying substantial, you know, substantive things about it. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying, well, this is actually just dumb and doesn't count. Yeah. Yeah. You know, something that the, <laughs> something else about dismissal here, uh, is that, uh, uh, when it happens either in a published piece or as part of a discussion, either in the discourse or et cetera, uh, if you just dismiss something, that can also be a manifestation of stop talking about this. Please talk about what I want to talk about. That, totally. Yeah. Like, yeah, that, that is 100%. And like, I'm not saying I never do that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. no, I would certainly never say that. So if, you know, maybe I am a hypocrite, but it's something I endeavor not to do. Right. And I try to be like, so, you know, just, just personhood tip. Like, and something <laughs> I try to do is like, be aware when you are motivated by the fact that people are not talking about the thing you want to talk about. Yeah. You know, like right now, uh, and this, it's all stuff I like, but like, I'm like struggling because, uh, my mute filters are not working, uh, for Disco Elysium, which is a game I really want to play. And I'm pretty sure I'll love, mm -hmm. um, and I don't want to hear about it right now because I can't play it. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to play it yet. I don't have time. I don't want it spoiled for me. I want to go in fresh and I'm 
I was exaggerating, you know, and I'm getting annoyed when it pops up on my timeline and I was trying to interrogate and it's like, is this just like the opportunity cost or this is just something I don't want to talk about? Like, mm-hmm. I don't like it. And I, I know I do that. Like, but I, I try not to. No, you just, you know? if it's internal, that's fine. That's not a, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's different. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure I do it even just in general, yeah, but yeah. it's a big thing, you know, as somebody now who is like, like we've talked we've had a slack for a few years mm-hmm. uh, and not anyone in specifically. And by and large, it is a really positive place, but that is a pernicious behavior that I see a lot is someone just being like, I don't want to talk about this. I'm changing the subject to something else. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, other people are talking about that. Maybe don't do that. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe watch yourself doing that in online spaces. Yeah. So, or in person. Or in person. Yeah, exactly. It's not great in person either. You right. know, just changing the subject because you want to talk about something else is lousy. Yeah. yeah. You know, so the art of changing the subject is difficult. <laughs> yes. Uh, Jake writes via contact. Uh, this is now the second game that I've played along with the show. The first one being Halo ODST. And like with ODST, I found uh, coming back to Alan Wake disappointing. The thing that stood out to me replaying it was how much the game relies on horror pop culture references for its flavor. I'm all in favor of homages and whatnot, but for some reason, every time Alan Wake makes a reference, they have to call out what they are referencing. The frequency with which the game did this led to it feeling like uh, it didn't have an identity of its own, that it was just just borrowing from better horror properties instead of creating its own unique world or story. This coupled with uh, what I found to be tensionless survival horror mechanics made Alan Wake feel like an entry point for young gamers. Fit possibly for people who are recovering from surgery. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, made it feel like an entry point for young gamers to get into survival horror while uh, not actually standing with the other titans of the genre. Uh, thanks again, guys, for all your hard work and content. Can't wait to hear the app. I'll be playing along with Human Revolution, which I'm hoping is a way better experience than ODST and Alan Wake was. I found that it stood up pretty well. Cool. I, I, I still love Human Revolution. Yeah. Um, don't compare it to Deus Ex. Well, so as long as you're not comparing yeah. it to Deus Ex 1, it's still super good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Like the, the mashups and there's something about references when they call them out, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, I don't, this is not a totally apt example, but it's just been on my mind because I think I'm going to pull it up from my alt list and rewatch it, uh, mm-hmm. is cabin in the woods. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, which is a movie I really like, mm-hmm. but if the character said like, Hey, this, uh, you know, this, this thing is exactly like the, uh, you know, tormentium dohecahedron or whatever from. Hellraiser would suck. <laughs> you know, I just need to have the pleasure of seeing, you know, the the Malleus Configuratorum, yes. you know, or whatever it's called, uh, and a Lament Configuration. Mm-hmm. Uh, just get to see that and then just be like, oh, yeah. Mm. You know, I do, you know, d- then it doesn't feel like stealing valor. Yeah, no. You know? Agreed. So. Uh, you know, just have the confidence that, uh, you know, have the confidence to make the reference and hope that other people will get it or that mm-hmm. it will be, that it will feel, you know, like part, like enough of a part of the game or the product that it will, won't stick out, you know, mm-hmm. leave it as an Easter egg. It's fine. Like that, like that, yeah. that is when references work best. Me too. I think so too. Yeah. Agreed. Um, weird autumn says via contact. Uh, I want to talk about a small weird element of Alan Wake that I appreciate. The weapon selection. Your arsenal is extremely limited uh, compared to almost any other shooter, but it plays into my weird habits. I never want to use either a practical or efficient or massively oversized and turbo-lethal gun in a game. If I'm going to be shooting, I want what Alan Wake gives me, which is some cowboy shit. (laughs) The selection of revolver and shotguns and lever-action rifles that Alan Wake has is exactly what I would gravitate towards anyway, which uh, is a me thing, but it's also a good aesthetic and thematic fit. 
It would be kind of weird to see Alan running around uh, in his ratty tweed jacket, packing an assault rifle, and the largely archaic single-shot weapons reinforce the tension of the core gameplay loop by making every count, uh, shot count. They also contribute to the combat feeling repetitive by the end, but I kind of appreciate the rejection of good shooter design in favor of something more tonally grounded. It's part of what makes Alan Wake such a weirdly endearing, memorable, and flawed game. Uh, parentheses, uh, American Nightmare has a more standard selection of weapons, of course, but that game is pointedly more heightened and arcadey and plays into the TV show theming, so, you know, fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, th this works and stuff. I think that there's a, a thousand reasons the combat in Alan Wake is subpar to me. Mm -hmm. um, if you had just increased the weapons, it wouldn't help if I'm no. still fighting the same three things. Yeah. You know, so yes, it fits the setting. I agree. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's good. Um, yes, I think that more weapons like would be silly. Mm -hmm. You know, agreed. Um, but I, I think that it's just uh, it's like almost like if you fix other parts of the combat, this would have to change, too, mm -hmm. as is this is the perfect choice for a system I think is not very good. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe is, is a good way to put it. But I do think it is that, you know, there's, there's value in, in, in putting out a perfect choice, even if it is in service of something, not that great. Mm -hmm. It can still be a perfect choice. Yes. Yep. I agree. Um, weird autumn and I have similar instincts. I generally go with the cowboy ass shit too. Um, you know, fallout new Vegas for me, uh, I pretty much will always go with, uh, basically all revolvers for my build. You know, mm -hmm. all, all, just, all of my hotkeys will be different revolvers that I have that I will cycle through. Yeah. I do a lot of, a lot of, uh, pistol style weapons in video games as well. Yeah. Like basically every 0451, every game that I can choose, mm -hmm. you know, uh, alpha protocol, everything I can choose. Do I do a pistol, Yeah. Uh pistol? And then sometimes a, a, you know, a pistol and a long arm, yeah, yeah. you know, a sniper rifle or a rifle, everything mm -hmm. like that. When's the last time you like used an Uzi in a game? Like, well, I I, that it. might be my, <laughs> like, my least favorite, like weapon class the suck in games yeah the uzis just suck yeah like i mean they all suck because they kill people in real life but like oh, yeah. in games also uzis mm -hmm. suck yeah you know not good weapons not good weapons yeah yeah um, Sam says via contact, I'm really excited to hear your take on Alan Wake. Please don't be Sam Lake. <laughs> I don't, I don't think it was, that would have been, that would have been very, uh, <laughs> that would have been remarkable. I'm really excited to hear your take on Alan Wake as it's a game that's important to me. When I first started dating my current partner, she was dismissive of video games and wasn't that interested in trying one out. However, uh, this was when Alan Wake had just come out, and since I'm a massive fan of Stephen King and Spooky Forest, same, uh, I was playing it religiously, first to experience it and then to go back and find all of the pages. As a result, she saw some of the game and by chance was drawn into the visual aesthetic and the focus on storytelling. Long story short, she asked me if she could try playing it for herself, and in doing so, showed what I think elevates this game above a lot of its peers. Aside from a 10-minute session on the first stretch of road where I uh, taught her how dual stick how dual stick controls worked uh the game introduces its systems slowly uh and with care uh but still makes the player feel in danger uh the first challenge is basically just flee the enemy in a straight line uh but it makes a new player feel like they've got mastery of dual stick movement uh that they just practiced on the road for example uh, this meant that my partner was able to sail through the tutorial area, coming out with a strong knowledge of how the game played, uh, as well as feeling like, feeling like she'd accomplished something cool. She ended up beating the game in a handful of evenings, and I knew it was something special for her when I came home to find her playing it without me. 
Uh, she's been interested in how games tell stories ever since, which reached a high point where we sat down for a weekend to play Bloodborne together. Maybe this would have happened with another game, but it happened with Alan Wake. I love the game anyway, but seeing how smoothly it introduced a new player to video games uh, makes it hold a special place in my memories. Yeah, yeah. It was something. It's very easy for us, you know, and I think this is true for other people who played a lot of video games to like skip tutorializing, yeah, or yeah. resent tutorializing. I know I do it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and I try. You know, I have to try to keep in mind, like, oh, it's not for me. Mm-hmm. Like the the section of you know of, of Half Life where I do the obstacle course, mm-hmm. it's not for me. Right. You know, I, I know how to do this. Like, I don't need it. But you know, there is quality and craft and care that goes into those parts of games too. That is like worth recognizing. Yeah. It's just largely invisible to me. Yeah, yeah. It's it's invisible unless it is spectacular. See, yeah, any, it's Yeah, yeah, precisely. Um, the other part of this, you know, aside from tutorializing, uh, that I think is salient is theming matters, especially yeah. if somebody is skeptical um, of, you know, a large swath of things. The fact that this, the fact that this just looked and felt, um, (laughs) like something that she would be interested in, like something they would be interested in was worthwhile, you know, like it made, it it made a difference. Theming is the most important thing for getting something, somebody into something Mm -hmm. like you will. I, I feel like, I don't know if this is, you know, true in every single case, but I think in general, you will never get someone into something by saying it's good. Right. Like quality is not the metric by which interest is no, generated. Because, because the best, deepest, most satisfying game in the world could be Colonel Dipshit, Colonel Dipshit's Fart Party. And yeah. like, you know, not a lot of people are going to, you know, t- t- uh, take a bite out of that, you know, yeah. with, <laughs> without being forced to. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, and or, um, you know, this happens a lot. Uh, you know, I talked a lot. Of, we talk about like recommendations being poison. Mm-hmm. Right. And part of that is, you know, that is wrapped up in a lot of things. Uh, part of it is our specific, you know, like we play a lot of games for work, so we don't have tons of time mm-hmm. for it. Part of it is just like, you know, the 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 cadence of an imposition. Mm-hmm. Like you have to do this. I'm giving you an assignment. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of implications in there. There's part of it that is, um, you know, the weird guilt that's wrapped up in it. Like, oh, this person expects do, me to do, do this. Do I thing. owe this to you now? Yeah. Yes. You know, there's, so there's lots of reasons why. But part of it is because a lot of times it's just based on, hey, this is, you know, it doesn't tell you enough about the thing. Yeah. You know, like, oh, you know, you, you've got to watch this. It's really good. It's like, well, you know what? Like, you know, lot, I, I will die without seeing every really good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I will watch other really good things instead. Yeah, you know, and, and that is that is an uh, an ironclad bulletproof response to that. Mm-hmm. But if you say like, "Hey, this is you know this is in your wheelhouse because of X, Y, and Z," mm-hmm. like this does you know this and this and this, like oh well, suddenly mm-hmm. you know I'm I'm down. Like that is that is much more interesting. You know, something I think about like a, a real uh, fateful uh, night for me uh, <laughs> was me. Uh, playing dragon age two after being like liking dragon age one, but being pretty lukewarm. And it literally just came from, and the game had really bad re- reviews. Like, you know, that game is not really well thought of, um, not really bad reviews. It's like, I'll say, you know, bees, but, uh, it was not very well thought of. And me just being like, I just really want to play some dark fantasy. Yep. Like, give me some dark fantasy. I want to like wear black leather and go in mines and hit stuff with a sword. Mm-hmm. That was the end of it, you know, and yeah. that was more that had more to do with its quality or anything like that. And then when, uh, you know, uh, the third one came around and it's like, hey, in this game, you get to be a messiah and, uh, you know, revolutionize this uh, thing like less interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Like also it turned out to be not to be a, a good game, but also just like not like wasn't in the mood for it. Didn't sound good at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like such a big factor. Like it's yeah. so mercurial. Yeah. And just say like it, it plays with your appetite, I think, more than the actual substance of the game. Yeah. You know, 
you know, like you can you can know that like drinking this like really good smoothie or going to this very fancy restaurant that has really good food is the best thing for you. Mm-hmm. But cravings don't work that way. No, no. You know, uh, craving cravings are different. So like if somebody likes spooky forest and stuff, you can get them in Alan Wake. You don't necessarily have to be like, hey, this is the, the best game in the world mm-hmm. with this kind of thing. Like, no, recommendations are interesting. Yes. Um, Round is out finally here with John. Uh, John says, I like the episodic structure of Alan Wake. They're distinct areas that feel different, even though it's just normal game zones. You know, ice, lava, water zones. <laughs> uh, even though the whole town has a specific, specific feel overall, each episode feels very different from each other. It makes everything feel connected. Well, except the last vehicle zone in episode six. I could do without any of that, and it didn't feel like it added to the game. In general, I liked the variety of objects being poltergeisted around the combat arena, uh, even if it didn't mean any difference in gameplay. They're usually interesting. Uh, The boss fights of those objects were great. Seeing a crane or bulldozer bearing down on you was incredible. Unfortunately, I had a mate's brother die to a harvester accident, so that fight was a bit full on. Uh, the Taken could have used more variety, and those boss uh, boss fights were just the basic versions with more health. I dealt the tension that this game brought. Uh, while not being scary, I found myself on the edge of my seat, focusing uh, intently as any turn around a corner could lead to an epic battle. The slow motion during ambushes made you feel badass, escaping from certain death. The horde mode on the old god stage was a clever and ludicrous use of lighting. I mean, who has ever uh, had a stage set up like that in the middle of a paddock? Uh, the licensed music makes the game feel more like a movie. I love this game. Thanks for covering it. Also, I just finished the next game in the Remedy Averse Control, also known as Now You Get to Be the Poltergeist. Can't wait for you guys to cover this as well. But one more year up on the board. Yep. <laughs> just, just John. Wait, Thresher, a harvester accident. He's so, sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm very sorry to hear that, especially something that happened to your friend. Uh, so this is this is just something weird that I take for granted. I forget that not everybody knows somebody who, uh, who uh, has been injured or killed in a farm equipment accident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a thing that happens around where I grew up. And I, again, I forget that's a thing. So Yeah, I, I, I don't know anybody who has gotten gotten killed yeah. from a farm accident. Yeah, no, I just, I know, I know <laughs> like the, there was a family friend whose kid died because they were kicked by a horse. No, oh, geez. Yeah, sucks. Yeah. R- rural. It, it does, yeah. Rural dangers. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, they should do, they should do some, like, uh, I want to see some like real scare media <laughs> about like moving out to the country and like the, the, the terror of threshers and horses. What you are looking for, my stuff. friend is the Chevy chase movie, funny farm. Oh, I like, I'm not familiar with funny farm. <laughs> it's it's uh, not, that that. Is, that it's not what you're of, asking for. <laughs> yeah. That's the terror of bad roofing and termites. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I watched that movie more than I, than it deserved. <laughs> Uh, which, is, which is the same more than once, but I, I, I watched it enough times where I'm embarrassed to say how many times I saw it because it was on HBO during a summer. Well, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thanks everybody mm-hmm. uh, for your responses yeah. to our games. If you have anything to say about November's games, mm-hmm. uh, which are the last express uh, Simpsons hit and run uh, or Deus Ex human revolution, hit us up at duckfeed.tv slash contact. Yes. Uh, and if you have things to say about December's games, the deadline for that is going to be uh, December the 15th. But what are those games, you ask? Well, uh, well we're going to tell you right now. A lot uh, of temerity. <laughs> tell you that. Yeah. So uh, we're doing something a little bit different this time. It is still going to be Western RPGs, but we're picking kind of a theme for this. It is manageable Western RPGs. So we've got two games this time instead of a massive, um, a massive undertaking. So first up in December, we're doing a two-parter. 
uh, both of these are patron requested. Mm -hmm. um, we're doing a two-part episode on Tyranny. I've wanted to play this game since it came out, since you gave it a good uh, good recommendation. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to being a real bastard of a king. You get to be a real bastard king. Uh, it does delicious evil um, as well or better mm -hmm. than any uh, game I have played. Um, my understanding, uh, hearing other people talk about it, is not all of the pathways are equally done. Um, the one I naturally gravitated to, towards, I don't want to poison a well, uh, was very satisfying for me. Cool. Um, the combat is a cilantro thing. Uh, you'll mm -hmm. either like it or not, but I dig it. Um, and I think I'm going to take this opportunity to play the DLC just because I never have. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I might end up doing a top tight five on it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it won't be full coverage, but I would like to talk about it just because I'm due for a replay regardless. Mm -hmm. um, and then our premium episode uh, for that month as another patron request. Um, we are doing Jade Empire. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be uh, does this does this count as modern Bioware? It is. It's right on. It's right in that code yeah, or like mid period. Yeah. No. That's on the cusp. Like we're working our way towards modern Bioware mm -hmm. slowly, slowly. Um, so yeah, so doing Jade Empire, which is a game I played and never beat mm -hmm. uh, when it came out, and I'm looking forward to revisiting it because yeah. it's probably the Bioware title um, that I know the least that isn't like a later Mass Effect mm -hmm. that I didn't like explicitly bounce off of. Right. So yeah, yeah. Uh, really excited about that. Mm -hmm. And we are getting into planning out next year. Lots of good yeah. stuff coming up. Giving uh, just a, a tiny little uh, taster preview is the first thing we're covering uh, in the next year. Also could arguably be on this theme, even though it's not quite. Mm -hmm. uh, so get get ready for that. Yeah. You know, in, the, in that first month, because it's going to be, uh, it's actually it's looking forward, you're know, looking at the first quarter. Uh, and we got an extremely Gary friendly, like from mm -hmm. human revolution onwards. It's real Gary. <laughs> it's like Gary's all the way down for a while. Yeah. It, yeah. We're, we're going to need to fix that. So <laughs> yeah, it's because, because Cole hates these games. Yeah. You know, Cole <laughs> hates Bioware. Um, the, uh, um, yeah. So uh, really looking forward to that. Um, mm -hmm. If you would like to, you know, since we are starting to schedule for next year, a couple of people have already done this. Um, if you want to dictate a game, mm -hmm. uh, the way you can do that is uh, going to patreon.com slash duck TV. Yes. And uh, we appreciate that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything else? No, just the usual stuff. Um, please share us with your friends. Thank you to everybody who came out to the Portland retro games expo. This is the yep. first episode we recorded after that. Um, after that event, it was a good time. We met a lot of you and mm -hmm. uh, we're and looking forward to doing it, doing it again. Yeah. That live episode will come out in January as well. Yes. So if you didn't make it, you'll be able to hear the audio from that. That was a fun experiment. Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah. And I think that's probably about it. I think so. Uh, so we appreciate you. Um, and until next time, uh, good night. Good night.